We are ready, Mayor. Welcome everyone to the April 20th City Commission meeting. Before we get started, we'll have Porter O'Neill give us a few comments about how the meeting will be operated. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. I want to share some housekeeping. Mayor Porter, we can't oh. hear you. Sorry, and I got people coming in. Bear with me one second here. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, everyone. Um, I just want to share some housekeeping items for this virtual meeting. This meeting is being broadcast and recorded on the City of Lawrence YouTube channel, and it's being uh, broadcast on channel 25. The public chat function is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. When you are not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone. When you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, please turn your video off. You will still be able to hear the meeting, and you can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. If you have any trouble, please send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute microphones and or turn off people's video to minimize distractions. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Finkeldye. Mayor Finkeldye, thank you, Porter. We will now do roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley? Here. Commissioner Ananda? Here. Commissioner Lawson? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. Mayor Finkeldye present. And again, before we start the meeting, we'll have Sherry Riedemann, our city clerk, talk about how the meeting will be conducted. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'M JUST GOING TO PROVIDE A FEW PROCEDURAL REMINDERS FOR THE VIRTUAL MEETING. COMMISSIONERS, PLEASE REMEMBER TO STATE YOUR NAME AND TITLE EACH TIME YOU SPEAK. AND MAYOR, AFTER A MOTION IS MADE AND SECONDED, PLEASE REMEMBER TO CALL ON COMMISSIONERS INDIVIDUALLY TO PROVIDE THEIR VOTE, THEN ANNOUNCE WHETHER THE MOTION CARRIED AND THE COUNT OF THE VOTE. CITY STAFF, PLEASE REMEMBER TO STATE YOUR NAME AND TITLE EACH TIME YOU SPEAK. When the mayor calls for public comment on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name. Comments will be limited to three minutes. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals should raise their hand to indicate they wish to speak. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. Please state your name before speaking and your comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Sherry. The first item on the agenda is to approve the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Would any commissioner like to amend the agenda? If not, I'd look for a motion to approve. Commissioner Nada, I would move to approve the agenda. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Fingalai, there is a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. 
passes five to zero. Next on the agenda is two proclamations. The first is to proclaim the week of April 26th through 30th as Tree City USA Week and Friday, April 30th, 2021 as Arbor Day. And I believe um, Krista Miles is here to say a few words before I read the proclamation. Crystal, you're on mute still. Now push all the right buttons. Crystal Miles, Horticulture Manager, City of Lawrence. Uh, good evening, Mayor Finkeldye and Commissioners, and thank you for recognizing Arbor Day 2021. Uh, this year, we plan to celebrate Arbor Day with a tree reforest event at Edgewood Park uh, the morning of May 1st with local scouts, uh, Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, uh, to plant 35 trees, and we'll be planting native species such as cherry oak, tulip tree, thornless honey locust, walnut, and redbud. In 2020, city staff continued with urban forestry removal, pruning and rejuvenation tree resources by removing declining trees and replanting with new trees. Uh, this included a mix of species, both large shade trees and smaller ornamentals in parks, boulevards, medians, street trees and other municipal facilities. Specifically, 551 dead or declining street and park trees were removed, 2,042 trees were pruned, 711 new trees were planted. And this is in uh, including memorial trees in parks, Ar Arboretum Cemetery street trees um, in newly constructed subdivisions and city right of way projects. And we had over 25 uh, memorial trees planted this year. Forestry staff continued to facilitate the emerald ash borer management strategies, including treatment and removals, disposal of green waste and replanting. Since the program started in 2016, over 800 trees have been removed and 700 trees are being treated on a biannual basis. Replanting remains ongoing as resources allow. Uh, we've continued with the mass street replant um, with new tree grades installed each year to replace the old infrastructure in the commercial district. And uh, the new trees will facilitate shade and enhance clean air recovery for pedestrians downtown. Other tree operations, uh, such as emergency response with, for windstorms and complicated removals, uh, were contracted out with a local tree company. Um, the city forestry staff did work with citizens and city engineering staff on public improvement plans to review and mitigate tree root issues and trees in conflict with some of the safe route sidewalk projects. Um, we partnered with the local rotary volunteers to plant trees and add new markers at the Lawrence Rotary Arboretum. Um, we also continued with the woodlot recycling program for urban waste and mulch and sold over 30 urban tree logs uh, through the govdeal.com. Um, this year we celebrate Arbor Day um, in person. Last year we did it virtually um, and through social media. And uh, we're also celebrating Earth Day um, as that comes up next. Um, so we encourage citizens to use our storyboard on the city website. Um, either at lprd.org or we are registered with the ARBnet uh, at the Morton Arboretum and that is ARBnet at mortonarb.org and they can learn tree identification and take a virtual or an in-person uh, tree trek in South Park and also the Lawrence Rotary Arboretum. Thank you. Crystal, thank you very much. This is Mayor Finkeldye for all your work and uh, all the folks on um, on your team. Now go ahead and read the proclamation. 
Whereas in 1872, J. Sterling Morton proposed to the Nebraska Board of Agriculture that a special day be set aside for the planting of trees. And whereas the year 2021 marks the 149th anniversary of this holiday called Arbor Day and, and was first observed with the planting of more than a million trees in Nebraska. And whereas Arbor Day is now observed throughout the nation and the world. And whereas trees can reduce the erosion of our precious topsoil by wind and water, cut heating and cooling costs, moderate the temperature, clean the air, produce oxygen and provide habitat for wildlife. And whereas trees are a renewable resource, giving us paper, wood and our, for our homes, fuel for our fires and countless other wood products. And whereas trees in our city increase property values, enhance the economic vitality of business areas and beautify our community. And whereas trees are a source of joy and spiritual renewal. And whereas Lawrence has been recognized in its 43rd year as a Tree City USA by the National Arbor Day Foundation and the Kansas Forest Service and desires to continue its tree planting ways. Now therefore I, Brad Mingleye, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim the week of April 26th through 30th, 2021 as Tree City USA Week and Friday, April 30th, 2021 as Arbor Day and urge all citizens to support efforts to care for our trees and woodlands to support our city's community forestry program and to plant trees to gladden the hearts and promote the well-being of present and future generations. Thank you very much, Crystal, and we look forward to the celebration of Arbor Day. Thank Next, you. Thank you. Next on our agenda is the proclamation relating proclaiming April 22nd, 2021 as Earth Day. I believe Jasmine Moore is here to say a few words before I read the proclamation. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Jasmine Moore, Sustainability Director. So I first want to start by talking about what sustainability is, um, because sustainability really means living today like you're really going to, you really believe that there's going to be a tomorrow and the next day and generations to come. And so when you are in that frame of mind, uh, it makes you think differently about how you interact with people uh, and your neighbors and, and people in your community. Um, if you know you're going to be here the next day, then you are going to think about how you spend your financial resources. And ultimately, you are going to think about how you um, interact with the natural environment around you. And so we know that, um, you know, the way that we treat our earth has a lot to do with what our future will look like. And Lawrence has a long history of being known for environmental sustainability. And I'm really excited to see how that uh, is going to be strengthened, uh, especially with our new strategic plan that has a strong commitment to environmental sustainability. So um, in thinking about Earth Day and what it looks like this year, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that that we are still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and one of the things that I've heard from folks is that, uh, especially during the first few months of the, the shutdown last year, people were, were starting to find a new connection with nature and the environment that maybe they, they hadn't uh, because they were rushing from place to place before. Um, we saw, uh, we got some feedback from parks that, you know, we were seeing more people in parks and spending more time outside and um, the benefits of, of 
slowing down and, and feeling that connection to nature and ultimately what our, our impact is on, on the environment. So uh, we know that um, we, we aren't going to have our, our big celebration in South Park this year. Um, and celebrating Earth Day during a pandemic will we'll take some creativity. Uh, and we also know that there's still lots of ways that you can show your appreciation for the Earth and the environment. So we've taken the liberty of, of putting together some of those ideas uh, on our city website, uh, lawrenceks.org slash earth dash day. Uh, and there's local organizations that have put together some ideas about how you can celebrate uh, with at your home or in your neighborhood. Uh, and so we would encourage everyone to, to check that out and think about ways that you can um, show your solidarity with the millions of people across the earth that are celebrating this as well. So we appreciate the opportunity and um, thank you again for uh, the proclamation today. Mayor Finkeldie, thank you, Jasmine, for those words, and thank you for all you do related to sustainability and, and to promote Earth Day. So I'll check out the website there and see what I can do with the family. Go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas in this unprecedented time of a pandemic and economic upheaval, as we keep close to our hearts and minds the deep pain and suffering of those who are ill and who have lost loved ones, the sacrifices of all healthcare, public service, food and grocery store service, educators and other essential workers, and the devotion of individuals and families taking care of each other, we pause and also recognize the caring tradition of Earth Day. And whereas the first Earth Day occurred over 50 years ago when millions of Americans took to the streets, college campuses, and hundreds of cities to protest environmental ignorance and demand a new way forward for our planet. And in the years since, Lawrence government, organizations, businesses, and residents have celebrated and echoed this appreciation and call to action. And whereas the accelerating climate crisis requires action by all communities to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, to protect our planet for future generations, and adapt to climate threats, and whereas the Lawrence Strategic Plan highlights environmental sustainability as a core commitment meaning that we consider the environmental consequences of every decision, big and small, knowing that our actions have impacts beyond our boundaries. We protect and restore our ecosystem to make it healthier and more balanced for future generations. And this commitment, along with the other five commitments of the strategic plan, will guide all budget and policy decisions going forward. And whereas Earth Day offers people an opportunity to make, renew, and celebrate commitments that will protect quality of life, and the earth for generations to come. Now, mm -hmm. therefore, I, Brad Finkeldy, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim April 22nd, 2021 as Earth Day and urge residents and businesses to explore the various ways to take action at lawrencekansas.org slash earth-day and participate in acts of solidarity on their own time while following COVID-19 state and county orders. Again, thank you very much, Jasmine, and, and we look forward to celebrating Earth Day. Now, um, next on the agenda is the consent agenda. All matters listed below on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be enacted by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, the item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. 
Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. To begin with, do any commissioners have an item to pull from the consent agenda? Seeing none, um, I would ask if any member of the public would have would like to pull anything from the consent agenda. If you would, um, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. Or if you're present in the um, city hall, um, Sherry will recognize you and call upon you as she sees them. Michael Davidson. Uh, agenda item C6C. Jerry Reedeman, City Clerk. Uh, Mayor, that looks like that's the only item. Mayor Finkel, I thank you. I look for a motion then on the oh. remainder of the consent agenda. Um, this is Commissioner Larson, and I move to approve the consent agenda with the exception of C6C. Commissioner Ananda, second. Mayor Finkel, I motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Ananda. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. Aye. Passes five to zero. We'll now take up item six C6C. And Michael, you pulled that item. You can go ahead and proceed. Uh, good evening, Mayor and, and City Commissioners. Uh, this is probably one of the last times I'm going to be addressing this group. So I just want to, first of all, thank you for all the uh, time we spent together and all the support you have given to the tourism industry. Uh, in reviewing uh, the uh, extension of the contract for the uh, uh, downtown master plan, as you can see, they are looking, or it was approved back in 2019, to take $37,070 out of the transient guest tax fund to uh, support this this uh, mass downtown master plan. Uh, even though we've actually had some really good news uh, in the last few days, the March uh, tourism numbers were really showing a rebound. The occupancy is up 62% and the revenue is up 38%. But of course, that's from very low numbers that we had uh, last March. So again, I'm expressing my concern of using the transient guest tax dollars for anything except for what is, is majorly supposed to be used for, which again is, is tourism promotion. So I just wanted to point that out. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything you can do about it, but I just wanted to make you aware that even though we expect the fund to rebound, it's still gonna be a fund that's gonna be under a lot of stress for the next couple of years. So thank you very much and have a good evening. Thank you, Michael. Any commissioners have questions? If not, this is a public hearing item. Since Michael brought it out, I'll ask before we maybe we bring it back to commissioners if any member of the public, other member of the public would like to speak on this item. If so, raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. or let Sherry know. Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk. There's no other public comment on this item. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Sherry. Um, we'll bring it back for commissioners for comments or motions. 
Yes, Commissioner Bowley, um, I think it's very important that we continue with this effort. And um, I appreciate uh, Michael's concern about the transient guest tax fund, but I think it's still an appropriate use for that. For that. If there's no other, this Commissioner Bowley again, if there's no other Commissioner comment, I would move that we authorize the city manager to execute the second amendment for professional services agreement between the city of Lawrence and Haziel Levine Associates to extend the agreement expiration date for work on the downtown master plan and receive an update on the progress to date and next steps for plan consideration. Mr. Arson, second. Mayor Finkelberg, there's a motion by Commissioner Bully, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Mayor Finkeldye? Aye. Passes five to zero. Um, I would just take a second to say thank you to Michael for all his work. Um, and Michael, I hope you enjoy your retirement and leave North Carolina. So um, you'll be missed and you've done great work. Thank you. This Commissioner Bowley, I, I would also like to echo those comments. I've I've worked closely with Michael over the years and appreciate what he's done for our community. So thank you very much, Michael. Mayor Fingal, I thank you. We're now moving on to public comment. The public is allowed. Um, let me get to that part, make sure I read it correctly. The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. If you have an item of public comment that's not on the agenda, you can raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or let Sherry know and she will call upon you. Logan Stensing. Hello, uh, Logan Stensing here. My pronouns are he, him. Good afternoon, city commissioners. I'm here today as a volunteer for the Lawrence Region Kansas Project, a group which has been organizing and planning a mutual aid effort since this winter to combat food insecurity and other resource needs in the Lawrence community by making those resources more readily accessible by having a community fridge and pantry. Our motto, like many other mutual aid projects, is take what you need, give what you can. Our organizers have been connecting with community members from across Lawrence, and we've received nothing but really overwhelming support from them in our efforts. However, we have had some roadblocks with city staff because of possible policy violations. And we as organizers are committed to working with the city staff whenever we can, especially if it means we are ensuring the safety and health of our community members is a priority. But we do not want to limit the accessibility and impact of our community fridge if we believe the safety concerns have been addressed. One of these roadblocks I want to discuss with you today is the issue of Ordinance 14704, uh, which is the Abandoned Ice Boxes and Refrigerators Ordinance. Um, specifically, our main question is in regards to the, in this ordinance is that the city's interpretation of abandoned or unattended uh, is because our fridge would be regularly monitored, cleaned, and filled by community volunteers. And even the owners of Latchkey Deli, the property the fridge was going to be located on, 
uh, have noted that the fridge would be in regular view from the back patio area. We believe this project does not violate this ordinance because of our plans for facilitating continual upkeep and routine check-ins and to ensure it's filled and cleaned. If there are concerns about the possibility, because this was brought up by city staff, that children and people could potentially enter the fridge, we've also discussed adding more compartments in the fridge to make it humanly impossible to fit inside. What we're told by city staff is that their interpretation of the ordinance would mean that someone would have to be standing right next to the fridge in order for it not to be a violation of this ordinance. This is an overly exclusive interpretation of this ordinance that prevents us from setting up the fridge outside on private property for easier community access. And I think if you asked the average Lorenzian if this was an abandoned fridge, they'd say no, if it is in use and regularly cleaned, checked and filled with food for people in need, that's not an abandoned fridge. So this is an opportunity for city commissioners to stand up for uh, community members who are trying to address the gaps in needs that aren't being currently met. And I believe this project represents the core values Lorenzians like to talk about. That idea that normal residents can organize a project that is driven by community members to help us act on our collective responsibility to serve the community so we can all thrive. We urge the city commission to provide directives to city staff to allow for outside fridges. If yeah. the of said fridge have a framework and regularly attend, I'd love to continue this conversation. Thank you uh, with city commissioners. Thank you, Logan. Um, and we'll certainly discuss that. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Chris Berger. Hi, commissioners. I just, just want to address something from last week. During the um, public session and the meeting that was taking place and the comments and the conversations, um, I made some benign comments observations of facts that were taking place and the subsequent speaker then made reference to previous speakers and that he believed that those speakers should have the quote i think is understanding shaken into them now in response to that the commission said nothing which uh, i find to have a, a chilling effect on a subject matter that I was speaking on, not just in regard to myself, but at least 19 other residents around me, the majority of whom were women. So for a commission, which acts quite frequently with regard to taking actions in response to inaction, I think it's quite fair for a lot of the people who are listening to take your inaction to a physical threats against someone who is speaking on a public topic to be your, uh, I wanna say consent to it, but certainly you were not doing anything to uh, dissuade that individual. And since all the people who I was speaking on behalf of were reluctant to do so because they feared retribution with regard to their comments, they have found your inaction to be intimidating. And um, I just, I wanna hold you accountable to that. Now on the, the other subject of um, some comments that were made about the police, I'll say that we 
as a group observed what took place in Watson and Constant Park, and at no time did anyone with the police act inappropriately or with any chemical agent, as was being stated. Um, and in fact, most of the actions were taking place through Parks and Rec and Burt Nash, who were eminently uh, professional and respectful and qualified. Thank you. Kyle Clemens. Um, hello, uh, good evening, everybody. Um, let me try to make this quick. Um, I'm Kyle Clemens, uh, 2016 Olympic gold medalist in Rio. And um, uh, I am a food truck owner in Lawrence, and I'm just here just simply just asking for it to be a easier to um, have a food truck in Lawrence, uh, particularly on Mass Street. Right now, the codes um, doesn't allow food trucks to be on Mass Street. Uh, ever since COVID, uh, you've seen uh, airstreams and outside seating um, um, pop up on Mass Street, and uh, it, it's kind of look, looked a little different, um, but... I've, I've tried to partner with several businesses and uh, got the green light from them, but the city just doesn't allow food trucks on Mass Street, but they allow Airstreams and other things to uh, crowd the parking spaces. So um, my concern is just pretty much just um, businesses, you know, they're falling apart, you know, they're, they're going under because of COVID and um, this is a chance for them to just, I guess, simply just you know, recover, you know, so um, I'm not asking just for any food truck to just be able to just park on Mass Street, but uh, giving um, giving permission from the owner, um, you know, we can uh, be able to park on Mass Street, giving permission from the owner. And uh, that's pretty much all it is, just uh, having that permit um, to be able to park. And yeah, that's that's pretty much all I'm all I'm here for today. Is there anyone else via Zoom who would like to provide general public comment? Okay, I don't have as much to say today. Eric Hyde, um, thank you for your service and proclamations, city commissioners. Earth Day in Lawrence, Kansas. My grandfather, Wilbur Hess's birthday, April 22nd, who is the main photographer for the Lawrence Journal World, who is fired before his pension. Um, LJ World did the same thing kind of to Mike Yoder. April 22nd, 1994 is also the day I recovered enough after a 16-day coma I received here in LFK to leave Children's Mercy in Kansas City, Missouri 27 years ago, and I live on 27th Street. Uh, this is to the city commission and to the public, but about the city. My YouTube videos, kind of. March 22nd, 2021, cleanup time begins. 
Uh, my dog gets in the water. I encourage cleanup in parks publicly since December 15th, 2020. April 11th, 2021. I encourage city to pick up trash pile along Naismith Creek sidewalk. I tell them I will file a complaint if not done in 24 hours. They pick it up. Thanks. April 14th, 2021. I see Parks and Rec more at, the, at work maintaining cleaning up Naismith Park. Good job, I tell the worker. Now they need to pay the workers more instead of, instead of increasing salaries for higher up officials. April 16th, 2021. Stream advisory issued in Naismith Creek from the Storm Channel, uh, blah, 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 at 20th and Naismith Drive, blah, 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 effective Friday. Yet only signs posted at bridge south of 27th Street on Naismith Creek Dam. Hmm. No notifications as to where sewage problem occurred. Hmm. April 17th, 2021. I see illegal public notices from the city of Lawrence posted exactly where I maintain and take my dog over the years in Naismith Park. I agree with the no alcohol drinking, but April 19th, 2021, I tell the city to show me proof that Naismith Creek is dangerously contaminated and that no state fishing licenses are allowed for adults or children with supervision. Of course people can't swim there. It's a creek. Wading? Sure. Can't drink the creek water. Duh. Later that night, April 19th, I hear homeless people yelling, singing, partying. I notify police. I also notify a city earlier that day that the public notice is made in retaliation to thwart my intelligence, thwart my intelligence and public service, which is seditious, conspiratory, and a high crime and misdemeanor to me. Most city public servants at City Hall don't like me because I do a lot of their jobs better than a lot of them do, for free. They are, more, they are jealous and maliciously respond. Give me the proof. Nope, they ignore me. Tisk tisk. April 20th, today, 2021. Effective Tuesday, 20th, the City of Lawrence has lifted the stream advisory for Naismith Creek. Hmm. The stream advisory was issued on April 16th after a sanitary sewer overflow was discovered. City staff monitored the water, blah, 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 downstream, blah, blah, blah. Mm, advisory has been yeah. lifted. Oh, almost done. Admit, apologize to me and the public that you are incompetent and deliberately effed with me. Since you lifted the ban, you're lucky now that I won't sue you. If you F with me or the public one more time, I will sue you in, in as many heartbeats as it takes. This is a public official notice. Who's mentally ill and incompetent now? Who really are the criminals in Lawrence, Kansas? Okay. Don't ever mess with me again. I'm way smarter than you, not, not you, city commissioners, and I will know who's messing with me. Thank That's it thank for you. now. Thank you. Thank you. Did either one of you want to provide general public comment? This is for items not on the agenda. I haven't seen the agenda, but I'm assuming no, because I think you guys went over the, the homeless and the housing last week. So. Yeah, go ahead. If you'll just state your name, and then you'll have three minutes. Okay. My name is Angela Reed. Um, I'm wondering why that the city would pass an ordinance legalizing camping for the downtown district only when it's mostly buildings and businesses in that area. I understand some people were upset about the camping going on in the parks, um, but since people have been moved back out of the parks and further into the woods, there has been um, fights and sexual assault. As a person that, um, th that I am not uh, without housing at this time, I don't want to sound too ignorant. Um, I'm sure I do to some extent. But I have experienced housing insecurity, and I've had family, 
face housing insecurity and homelessness. Let's be clear about one thing, City of Lawrence, I, and I hope that at least some of the people that were, call, were complaining about the parks are still paying attention, although um, likely not since they got what they wanted. It's easy to become homeless and it is hard to maintain employment and income in a society with priorities that are, and values that are way upside down. It is not easy living without housing anywhere. Lastly, for those that were upset about the parks being unavailable or the perception of the parks being unavailable, I'm willing to bet most, uh, if not all, of those people have cars to take themselves to other parks and places. People living on the streets generally don't have cars and don't get around easy. Um, I also have a general public comment around a separate topic. Um, I would like to know why um, a city like Lawrence that considers themselves so green um, is not prioritizing recycling for businesses in the budget. Doesn't everyone recognize that one of the largest contributions of trash is from businesses? I'm tired of trying to find a job that I can feel good about doing and not have to throw away or watch recyclables being thrown away. Thank you. Uh, Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk, that's all the general public comment there. That's all of them that I can get the video up. I don't have any video. For some reason, it says that the host has stopped my video. You cannot start your video because the host has stopped it. You don't want to answer any questions? Yes? Yeah. Hold on a sec. I think we're trying to get that worked on, and then you can proceed with the three minutes. I thought maybe that was intentional. I'm sorry. Chad, no, that was not intentional, and you should be able to... Turn on your video now. We'll see what happens. I still get the same note. Uh, there we go. Uh, thank you for at least putting me on. <laughs> I got the same old crap to complain about. I was wanting to ask or let people know why the reason there is an unrepresented employee group. The only reason that there is an unrepresented employee group is because of the fact that the city opts out of PIRA. It's the only reason. Otherwise, we'd have representation. Uh, I've asked three times, three weeks, two weeks of it in writing before the meeting, the Monday before, asking what is it that resolution 7346 does that uh, is going to be rather expensive do that uh, opting into peer doesn't i've asked this question three times shouldn't be hard for you to answer i've given you plenty of time to think about it i realize you're not going to answer me directly but It'd be nice if you would explain this sometime in the near future. I mean, it would be nice if it was tonight, but I realize that that's probably not going to happen. But I will be back next week asking the same question again and letting you know that you've had over a week since I asked you tonight this question. 
Maybe next week we can get an answer. Hate to be a smart ass. Have a good night. Thank you very much. Sherry Reedman, City Clerk. Um, Mayor, everyone in in the commission room has spoken that wants to, and I don't see any other indication on Zoom of a hand raised or a video that there's any other public comment. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Sherry. Mayor. Yes. Mayor, this is Commissioner Nanda. I um, I noticed that um, Kyle Clemens. No, I don't think he's any longer on the Zoom, but I just wanted to mention that. Um, the, the comments in regard to 14704 and um, the conversation with the food truck on mass um, were items that I would like to bring up in commission items. So we can have further discussion on those just so that folks, those folks are aware. Mayor Finkel, I thank you for that. And we'll get to those in commission items. We'll now move to regular agenda item number one, which is to consider adopting on first reading ordinance number 9828, prohibiting the practice of conversion therapy. And Maria, I assume you get to present. Yes, that's me. Thank you, Mayor. Um, good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I'm Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia. This item returns to you after consideration two weeks ago on April 6th, 2021. At that meeting, as you recall, the commission was tasked with considering ordinance 9. 828, which would ban the practice of conversion therapy in Lawrence. That matter was deferred for further consideration of the definition of provider and specifically the last sentence of that definition, which stated that the term provider does not include members of the clergy who are acting in their roles as clergy or pastoral counselors and providing religious counsel to congregants and who are not performing under the authority of a license issued. Um, by under chapter 65 of the Kansas statutes. And as I had mentioned at the previous meeting, although it is uncommon, that language does exist in a, in a few other jurisdictions, like I said, a minority of jurisdictions, but that included Minneapolis, um, two other cities in Minnesota, including St. Paul and Duluth, as well as Tampa, Florida, Riviera Beach, Florida. And it also existed in um, the proposed legislation in Kansas from last year that did not make it out of committee. So the overwhelming majority of jurisdictions do not have that sentence. And so um, removing that sentence would make this draft more consistent with other jurisdictions that have adopted similar conversion therapy ordinance ordinances. Um, upon further review, um, as stated in the staff memo, the last sentence concerning religious counseling was determined to not be critical to the definition of provider. It had been added previously merely to clarify that the ordinance's focus was and is exclusively on licensed, certified, or registered practitioners and does not apply to religious counseling. Uh, the draft before you this evening revises that definition of provider to eliminate the last sentence from the previous draft. And tonight's draft, draft also makes two additional revisions to the definition section in an effort to be more inclusive as discussed by the commission at the previous meeting. That includes number one, adding the term queer to the definition of LGTBQ. The second change is clarifying in the definition for sexual orientation that the examples of heterosexuality, homosexuality, and bisexuality are part of a non-exhaustive list. And otherwise I'd echo um, you know, the remarks that I made at the previous meeting. I'm happy to answer any additional questions that you might have. Mayor Fingley, thank you, Maria. Any commissioners have questions for Maria at this time? 
Seeing no questions, I'll go ahead and open this item to public comment. Um, as usual, if a member of the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. We'll let Sherry know if you're in person, and Sherry will call upon you. Inoru Wade. Nora Wade here. Um, I was present uh, two weeks ago for the initial reading, um, and I just wanted to come back and give my support to um, making this the official policy of the city of Lawrence. Um, this is not my first jurisdiction that I have worked on when it comes to this particular issue. Um, St. Louis, Columbia, Kansas City, St. Joseph, and Roland Park have all been jurisdictions that I've worked on with this. There are some concerns from city commissioners as well as members of the public from a couple weeks ago that I took into consideration. Um, I just want everyone to know here that perfect should not be the enemy of good in this particular uh, case. There are lots of things I wish uh, the city commission had the ability to do in order to protect every single child, uh, regardless of whether or not it's a licensed practitioner, uh, because this is torture and this is abuse. Um, however, uh, there are a lot of jurisdictions that are currently under surveillance from a lot of different watchdogs on the right. Um, so there's a lot of instances where people are not willing to go as far as I think people like me who are advocates uh, pushing these pieces of legislation would like to go. The only thing I would like to add to this is the fact that um, some comments from two weeks ago sort of called into question um, whether or not this would stop people from discussing their gender identity in cases of being conf confused or coming to terms with. And I don't think that's what this is, this is meant to do as much as it is to prevent individuals from trying to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity rather than discussing how they're feeling. So I don't think anybody should be concerned that we're trampling over uh, some individual's ability to help children or uh, teenagers understand who they are in this world. Um, with that being said, I still urge you all to pass this as soon as possible because it is suicide prevention. It is a mental health uh, crisis in the United States, whether or not it gets the attention it deserves. Thank you. Michael Earhart. Hello, everyone. Um, I am uh, here representing Born Perfect, a national campaign led by conversion therapy survivors uh, to advocate against conversion therapy. Um, I wanted to thank the uh, leaders of Lawrence for bringing forward this ordinance. Uh, we at Born Perfect are in touch with a thousand conversion therapy survivors nationwide. We know of survivors in Kansas specifically who have survived conversion therapy. And we also know of approximately 30 therapists uh, across the state, including 10 licensed therapists who are practicing conversion therapy. Um, we wanted to remind everyone that as you already know, every major med professional mental, mental health association has determined through more than 20 years of research that conversion therapy does not do what it claims. It does not change sexual orientation. It does not resolve gender identity and it does not strengthen family or faith in God. 
Uh, we want to emphasize it is not talk therapy. It comprises relentless months or years of self-directed shame. And it also, uh, the, theory, the theories behind conversion therapy falsely accuse parents of causing our sexual orientation or gender identity. As a result, hundreds of survivors that we're in touch with, including our co-founder, have uh, suffered long-term damage to their families as their parents were falsely blamed for their orientation or gender identity. Um, we wanted to uh, recognize that religious counselors have our First Amendment right in the view of many to participate in activities, even when they are harmful as conversion therapy is. However, mental health professionals must be held to a higher standard. They must be held accountable to the standards under which they are licensed by the government. We uh, believe patients need to be free to discuss their orientation or gender identity and make their own decisions about uh, the, how gender identity and orientation relate to their own personal values and their faith without the therapist introducing discredited biases. Most professionals strongly support the enforcement of professional standards. And while we wait for the state of legislature to take action to enforce these standards, we believe it's appropriate in the meantime for cities to regulate local health and business practices. We encourage the leaders of Lawrence to adopt Ordinance 9828 and set an example for mental health professionals in Northeast Kansas. Thank you. Is there anyone else um, on Zoom who would like to provide comment on this item? If so, please in raise your hand or turn on your video. Go ahead. Uh, oh, it's on my head. Um, Eric Hyde. Okay, so Mrs. City Attorney, um, this is Lawrence, Kansas. Eric, Eric, Eric Hyde to City Commission. Oh, to the commission not City Commission, staff. consider what I'm going to say. Eric Hyde, Mrs. City Attorney, this is Lawrence, Kansas. This is not a big city. Quit comparing us to big cities. Let us be independent. Let us be what we want to be in Lawrence, Kansas. So you've got right. Or you got right, left, up, down, forward, back, shaking all around. It's like kids do. Uh, they, should, um, they should have freedom to change sexuality if they want to. Uh, anybody. Do you want everyone to be a certain way? Jeez. Love, great, beautiful, transcendental questions. Always. Don't force everyone to be this or that or don't restrict people to be this or that. Leave those kids alone. Like Pink Floyd said, we don't, I'm gonna sing it to you, we don't need no education, we don't need no thought control, no dark sarcasm in the classroom. Teacher, leave those kids alone. Blah, 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 blah. All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. That's Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall, part two. Oh, and then at the end of that song, if you don't eat your meat, how can you have any pudding? How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? I love that song. 
So I got some time left. I just want to say that I think you guys are doing the right thing with this ordinance, kinda. But if you pass it, it's an infringement of people's rights. There's people that want conversion therapy. I don't care if people don't want it. They should be able to not want it if they don't want it. Um, if they want it, they should be able to have it. Religious people should be able to provide it, no matter what. They're religious. Separation of church and state. They do not need a license. Did you read the United States Constitution? Did you read the Kansas Constitution? Are you really even an attorney? You shouldn't even have a bar license. Anyway, I still love you, attorney. I still love you, city commission. I still love you, city of Lawrence government. I still love you, everybody who wants to do this. But don't pass it. Please don't pass it. There's another way. I guarantee you there is another way. I know there is. Eric Hyde, thank you very much. Have a great night. Stephen Watts. Hi. Um, evidently, the video is not wanting to show. Irrespective, I find it very interesting that this ordinance seems to be being trumpeted by the town attorney, stating that 20 other states and other municipalities have done this. At the same time, here we are. Eight can't wait. Many other states have also banned the choking of people by the local town police department. Our town has chosen not to do that, meaning that we, we believe that it's okay for police people to choke people to death. At the same time, we have an ordinance that we're looking at to stop people from thinking certain ways. Is that what Lawrence, Kansas is all about? Stopping people from thinking? Really, a town ordinance needs to be put into place for, we don't like the way you think. It cannot happen. It's just something to think about. Meanwhile, can we not choke people to death as a town policy? Because the town policy currently is, it is okay to choke people to death in Lawrence, Kansas. That's all. Thank you. Sherry Riedemann, City Clerk. That's all the public comment, Mayor. Mayor Fingalai, thank you. I'll bring it back to the commission. Oh, oh, looks like we had maybe one more public comment. David Brown. David Brown, did you wish to provide public comment on this item? If so, you can go ahead and turn on your video or microphone and you'll have three minutes. Thank you. Um, 
I apologize. I, I thought the mute was off, but it wasn't. Anyway, I just want to say very briefly, I support this ordinance. I congratulate the commission for considering this ordinance um, as a member of the community and a member of the legal community. And as a, I also teach an LGBTQ legal seminar at the law school. Um, I am not speaking on behalf of the law school. I'm not speaking on behalf of my clients, many of whom are members of the queer community. But this I think the documentation that has been provided about the fact that conversion therapy is indeed torture and is clearly wrong and not accepted by any qualified medical professional um, is ample justification for the commission to pass this ordinance. And again, I applaud the commission for considering it and I encourage its passing. And I wanna thank you. Mayor Finkel, now I'll bring it back to the commission for comments or questions. Mayor, this is Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, uh, I, I, I support this. Um, I think it's clear that um, it is acceptable in the way that it's written currently. Um, I, I think we're definitely um, trying to protect Laurentians, um, people under 18 specifically here. Um, and um, as has been mentioned in the last meeting and in this one, I think by a couple people, um, there is a connection to suicide prevention, Douglas County if memory serves, has an unusually high uh, suicide rate. So I, you know, I connect it also with um, our responsibility um, in the in the county uh, for um, any kind of suicide prevention measures that we could take. Uh, I, the very most basic thing that we have to do is to protect each other and to protect children. And I feel that this um, does that. So um, I, I, I would entreat other commissioners to support this as well. So this is Commissioner Larson and I, I'm also gonna support this ordinance. I do believe it provides an element of protection that wasn't there before for our, our minor community. Um, and I think probably the best thing I've heard, one of the better things I've heard on this was um, from Mr. Wade who had indicated that the perfect should not be the enemy of good. So I think that this is a, 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 a good path to take and that the protection is needed. And, and so I'm gonna support this. May I think like any other comments or motions? This is Commissioner Ananda. Um, I, I think it's very clear that I support this. Um, so I'd be happy to make the motion on this item. Um, I would move that we adopt on first reading ordinance number 9828. Commissioner Larson, second. May I think like there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. Passes 5 to 0.
Thank you, Maria, for your help on that item. Now we'll move to um, agenda item number two, which is to receive the 2021 Community Development Block Grant and Home Investment Partnership Program funding recommendations and the 2021 Annual Action Plan and to hold a public hearing regarding the recommendations. And Danielle, I assume you get to present. Yep, it is me. Thank you very much, Mayor Commissioners. Um, Porter, is it okay if I go ahead and share my screen? Yes. All right. Okay. Good evening. Um, per the citizen participation plan, the city needs to conduct two public hearings per year to obtain citizens' views and comments and to respond to proposals and questions. Such meetings will be conducted at a minimum of two different times of the during the program year, and together they're going to cover the uh, following topics, housing and community development needs, development of proposed activities, proposed strategies and actions for affirmatively furthering fair housing, and review of performance of uh, the programs. So tonight, what we're doing is uh, we are both providing you the recommendations and also um, covering the 2021 annual action plan and 2021 investment summary and also our public hearing. So the second public hearing will be held with the Affordable Housing Advisory Board during the fall. And that one will look at the results of the 2020 program year, which is the one we're in now. And it will also look ahead to the planning for the 2022 program year. As far as the timeline for citizen participation for these uh, discussions, the uh, recommendations were published in the Lawrence Journal World on April 13th. That notification also let the public know when the public hearing would be and also uh, gave the information about the public comment period for the investment summary and also the annual action plan. The uh, press There was a press release that was also sent through the city on that same date. Uh, staff did notify the public service applicants the day before those came out, just uh, so they would kind of have a heads up on on what those recommendations were going to be before they before they hit the public. And uh, as mentioned, the public comment period will run from April 20th to May 21st. In terms of the recommendation process, the uh, CDBG home allocation and recommendation procedures were created to outline the methodology of funding allocation recommendations for the city. This document went into effect beginning with the 2020 CDBG and home program year, which runs from August 1st of 2020 to July 31st of 2021. And staff also did neighborhood and public service outreach in the fall of 2020 and brought back a presentation to the city commission where the governing body did reaffirm the use of the process and the scoring matrix for the 2021 discussions. The process does include some automatic allocations, which include administration for the CDBG program, which is 20% of the base CDBG amount and 10% of the base allocation amount for home. There are some additional grant requirements that I'll talk about just a little bit later in the presentation. Home was recommended by the Affordable Housing Advisory Board at their March meeting, and a group of uh, city staff recommended the CDBG public service allocations after several meetings in the month of March. Both of the CDBG and home discussions utilized that scoring matrix. 
For the home recommendations, the base home grant for 2021 is $453,326. And added to that is the city's estimated uh, program income in the amount of 15,000. And that brings us a total of 468,326 that we could work with. Uh, program income, just as a, a short refresher, uh, that's income that is returned to both the CDBG and the home programs through loan payments and loan payoffs. Um, things like our comp rehab loans, emergency and furnace loans, uh, some programs that don't exist anymore, we're still getting, getting payments on. So those funds go back into the programs and are able to be spent on, uh, on low moderate income folks. So uh, the home applications were submitted to the AHAB at the end of February for review, and uh, they discussed the applications at the March meeting and made funding recommendations at that meeting. And the chair of the AHAB, uh, Monty Sukup, is here in attendance if there are any questions about the recommendation for the home funding. This slide speaks to the applications and uh, the recommendation for the home grant. Two items of note are that there is a 15% of the base grant amount requirement and it needs to be allocated to the city's community housing development organization. Uh, currently we have one CHODO and that is tenants to homeowners. So that uh, is a requirement of 15%, minimum of 15%. Uh, the other item of note is that the home grant also may be allocated a, maxim a maximum of 5% to that CHODO for operations which helps them with the day-to-day -day delivery of the home activities and also home eligible activities. So the projects receiving recommendations uh, included a partnership with the city and tenants to homeowners for first-time homebuyer assistance. This includes down payment assistance, both project and closing cost subsidies for income eligible first-time homebuyers. And the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority for tenant-based rental assistance. Uh, this particular program is very similar to the New Horizons voucher program that the city uh, funds, the city and the county actually have funded. And uh, this program has a focus on moving homeless households into housing. And it's a 24 month program and also includes a, a case management component. The last two that I uh, kind of alluded to at the beginning of this slide, which are the CHODO activities. Uh, the 15% minimum that's required to be allocated to the CHODO is what we call CHODO project funds. This funding allows, uh, essentially it allows tenants to homeowners to develop, sponsor, or manage affordable housing. Um, tenants to homeowners typically has used this for the development of affordable housing. Uh, you can see the request and then also the recommendations. Um, I see, let's see. The, Choto operating funds, as I said, it's a maximum of 5% that can be allocated and the uh, board did allocate 20,000 to them. So it was just slightly under that, that 5% amount. This next slide is just a uh, historical uh, view of home and uh, we update this every year. It's, um, you saw a similar slide last year <laughs> and uh, we added this year's uh, information onto there. So for CDBG, um, the base grant this year was $790,114. Added to that is our anticipated program income again of $50,000. And then we also have reallocation for a total amount of $1,090,114. Uh, 
Um, the reallocation, um, just again, is just kind of a reminder, is uh, funds that are moved ahead from previous grant years. Uh, sometimes program income comes in a lot higher than we anticipate. Sometimes projects come in under budget. Sometimes um, projects are canceled. So that money um, just kind of moves forward and we uh, reallocate it. So uh, for CDBG, a maximum of 15% of the base grant is eligible to be applied to public services. So per the procedures document, the CDBG administration and the city programs um, allocations are automatically figured. Administrations figured at 20% of the base grant and the city programs are funded at about 75% of what we refer to as the rest of the grant, which uh, really means anything not administration and not public service. The remaining 25% of that amount is available on a competitive basis to um, organizations agencies, neighborhoods, anyone who uh, brings forward an eligible project for uh, a non-public service activity. If not all of the 25% is utilized, the remaining funds go back into the city programs line item. The funding for admin and city programs is not funding that is available for public service, unfortunately. So in terms of the um, automatic the CDBG funding for administration and city programs. The um, amounts cover first for the community development programs. We're looking at funds that go to comprehensive housing rehabilitation, emergency and furnace loans, weatherization, and it also covers staff costs for program delivery of these programs and other programs also under CDBG and home. We are also the responsible entity for things like environmental reviews for other federally funded projects in town. So we, uh, our staff keeps very busy doing those types of uh, those types of activities. Staff reached out to several city departments that may have had projects that would fall under CDBG eligibility criteria to see what kind of projects they could submit to us. We had conversations with MSO, Parks and Rec and Transit for the 2021 dollars. Transit actually has opted to look more at uh, the 2022 program year to bring forward some, some different projects, but we uh, have been uh, in discussions with MSO and Parks. Uh, MSO had put forward two different sidewalk gap projects, um, one on the east side of Osdall from 21st to 23rd, and then also the west side of Alabama from 23rd to 27th. And then Parks put forward um, several projects, a couple we had to pull out because they weren't in low mod areas, but um, potential projects that, and, and granted we still have to check official eligibility of these, of these activities, but um, Burroughs Creek Splash Pad, Edgewood Park Restrooms, Centennial Park, Half Pipe for Skate Park. So those are kind of the projects that, that we're looking at and over the next month we'll be looking at eligibility for those. Um, all city programs have to meet the exact same CDBG national objectives and income requirements that the rest of the projects do. For the non-public service recommendation, we only had one application, so it was recommended full funding, and that is for the Good Life uh, Innovations, which was formerly community living opportunities in the, in the community. And uh, they are replacing windows in nine of their uh, group homes. 
So for the um, the public service applications, again, we come to this 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 very uh, this very difficult area that that we're looking at. Um, it's always a difficult conversation, and it doesn't matter what group is is having the conversation. So. This year, the, uh, the staff team approached these again from the lens of the scoring matrix to assist with these conversations. And since there's no longer a, um, a, a public advisory board discussing the recommendations in a public setting, we uh, suggested bringing the public hearing to the city commission level. So that gives um, applicants and the public the opportunity to speak directly and have a direct line to the decision-making body for these. Um, we uh, also have included, and um, this was in the memo, and I'll talk about it a little bit here too, but we have um, alternate funding recommendations for the neighborhood associations. We uh, have, you know, the, the same kind of two very different groupings of, of applications coming together still. So uh, we have included an alternate recommendation for funding for the neighborhood associations that I'll get to. So um, those activities that we received applications for that are serving low-income clients with direct services and also uh, those that are uh, providing kind of these, these more overall services for the community are the ones that did score higher in the, uh, in the overall matrix um, discussion. So um, considering the scoring matrix that we went through, the group discussion, and really the analysis of impacts of the pandemic on the community, staff is uh, recommending fully funding the agencies that are providing that direct assistance in the forms of emergency financial assistance, supportive services, and case management, and counseling. So these projects all had a goal of keeping people housed in some fashion. Uh, there was one additional agency that... Um, applied for funding this year, and that was the K-State Research and Extension Office. Uh, we did not uh, recommend funding for that application, only because we did have an option to partially fund it, but we reached out to the agency and said, you know, does partial funding work for your project? It didn't, so um, we, uh, we ended up not funding that project at all. Uh, the ones that were funded, we have Lawrence Community Shelter, which this is for a uh, stabilization uh, case manager who is helping get uh, rapid rehousing folks uh, through the, the system to get them rehoused. We have three different um, emergency uh, assistance programs, Ballard Center, Catholic Charities, and Success by Six. Uh, one thing we uh, really do kind of want to look at moving forward after this year is bringing kind of these uh, emergency assistance programs together into one uh, one agency that's delivering the service. Uh, we have a lot of monitoring requirements and a lot of regulations that these have to follow. It gets difficult when there's multiple agencies kind of doing this uh, it, it, they're doing the same thing, but they're serving different folks. So uh, that's one thing we do want to look at for next year is kind of moving those more to like a centralized um, group doing the work. And then we have housing and credit counseling. Um, and this is for uh, credit counseling. This is your uh, C 
CDBG slide, just like the home slide that kind of shows the historic, um, the historic funding for CDBG and the programs. And then we get to the, the neighborhood funding piece. Um, staff really recognizes how critical that neighborhood communications piece is. Um, it helps them, you know, get the word out to their to the, to the folks in their neighborhood. It, it it brings a sense of community. Like we we completely are on board and understand the importance of this. CDBG program doesn't seem to be a really good fit for this particular communications piece as we're finding. So what we have done is we've had a series of meetings with several different city departments to put forth this alternate um, funding recommendation for the neighborhoods. The first part of this is looking at um, kind of giving them gap funding for the rest of 2021 from August 1st when the grant year is over to December 31st. We pulled those numbers from the 2020 allocation. So uh, we took that allocation, divided it by 12, took it times the remaining months in the year. We're also suggesting as part of the budget process that the four neighborhoods that had been funded with CDBG receive funding for um, their neighborhood communications for 2022. Uh, we are on board with helping to create a new program proposal going forward that incorporates some of those neighborhoods that have historically not been funded, um, building capacity for you know all the low neighborhood low income neighborhoods in town. We don't have um, time to do that for 2022, so that's kind of why we're we're uh, we're recommending funding in 2022 for those four neighborhoods, and then you know, a new proposal for, for all of them going forward after that. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Uh, Daniel Bushcutter is also here in case there are questions regarding the, um, the budget piece for general funding for the city. Um, next steps would be to hold the public hearing this evening. It's a public hearing you can open and close on the same evening. The written comment period is separate from the public hearing. Um, those dates again for the written public comment, we're accepting it from April 20th to May 21st. All of the written comment that we get does go to HUD with the report. If you do have changes you would like to see in what the recommendations show, um, please advise us of those changes. And if you do have changes, let us know where you would like to see that money come from. Uh, and then um, we'll bring everything back to you on June 1st to consider final adoption of the 2021 action plan and investment summary. And then everything's due to HUD on the 15th of June. So with that, um, I can stand for any questions you have and we can uh, move forward with the, uh, the public hearing when you're ready. Mayor Fingal, I thank you, Danielle, for that presentation questions for Danielle before we open up the public comment and the public hearing. Yeah, this is Commissioner Arson. I have a couple of questions about the neighborhood piece of the program. So with the recommendation that it won't be funded um, through the CDBG, uh, since it's not gonna be, I guess not that would not be a part of this public hearing, is that correct? 
The, sorry, um, Danelle Walters, Planning and Development Services, the, the public hearing covers the recommendations. So, so yes, it actually would cover the fact yeah. that, yeah, they, they applied for the funding, but we're not recommending it for CDBG. The, um, the general fund piece is probably separate from that. Okay. I think. <laughs> um, so the funding that was recommended for them last fall, when we had this meeting last fall, that was when the funding was cut. Is that my understanding? Is that what I remember? The funding was cut at that time. This is um, Danelle Walters, Planning and Development Services. It, it wasn't necessarily that it was that it was cut. It was just recommended at a lower amount than it had okay. been in the past. Um, when we brought the the new procedures and the scoring matrix into play, the community development advisory committee who had done the allocations didn't use a scoring mechanism at all. So it was it was kind of a uh, it was it was looking at new procedures and then also looking at the implementation of that scoring mechanism. We had a little bit more money to work with last year because we did have a uh, COVID waiver because part of the Lawrence Community Shelter Project was going directly to pandemic response. We were able to extend out the public service from the 15% and that is that is how they ended up having recommended funding last year because it was the scoring came out the same way this year as it did last year. So we just had a little more money to work with last year. Okay, Mr. Larson, thank you. Um, do you have any idea when you said you've got a recommendation for the neighborhood funding going forward? Do you know what um, what that looks like at this time? As far um, yeah. as where the money coming from and how much? Uh, Danny Walters, Planning and Development Service. Um, that I'm, I, I don't have that at this point. Um, I, all I know is that the 2022 would be um, part of the budget process that's coming to you. Um, I see Danielle turned her camera on, so she may have some. She may she may bail me out of this question here because I'm not sure. <laughs> Danielle, the Cutter Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, ultimately, I think the uh, funding would come out of the the general fund if you all wanted to proceed and kind of fill that gap between. Um, I think it's August first and the the end of the year. Um, before you start to consider the 2022 funding recommendation, whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, so ultimately, I think that would be the funding source. I don't have the number offhand. Uh, Danny may have it uh, as we've been going back and forth about what that um, exact amount would be. But that's something we could certainly get to you all relatively quickly. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, Commissioner Larson, so for the 2022 budget year, which we're working on right now, do the neighborhoods, are they going to have to apply for that money or is this just going to be allocated, you look at it just being allocated at some point? This is uh, Danny Walters, Planning and Development Services. My plan was to forward the applications that they had submitted to us to uh, to Danielle to use for consideration. Um, I, I didn't envision it as a competitive process where they would be applying for that money. Um, but if she, if she has a different answer, she can certainly jump in. 
Danielle Bush, kind of budget and strategic initiatives administrator. We're just trying to confuse you with both Danny's talking about the same <laughs> item. So um, apologies for that. Um, I think what, what Danny and I really uh, discussed was similar to what we did with um, some of the other outside agencies when we were kind of updating that process, we would do something similar with the neighborhoods here. Um, so I think the recommendation would really be to keep that funding flat for 2022 in line with what they received for 2021. Well, um, the um, planning and development services staff really put together a more robust program for 2023 um, that would be a competitive process and would speak to, I think, a little bit of what Danny was talking about in terms of kind of um, extending it out to some additional neighborhoods uh, to help build capacity um, and that sort of thing. So that was really kind of the discussion, but ultimately it's up to um, you all and in what direction you give us here tonight in terms of um, some of your expectations and, and recommendations for um, that neighborhood funding piece. Commissioner Larson, thank you. So I, I just want to make sure I understand this, the potential pr proposal would be that the funding stays flat in 2022 based on 2021 numbers. Is that correct? Is that what you said? Yep. Danielle Bush, Cutter Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Yes, that is correct. So Commissioner, Commissioner Larson, yes. So that 2021 funding, was that um, reflective of the amount that was allocated? Um, I don't know how to word this. Um, amount of the allocation where it was cut in um, last fall. Is that the number you're looking at? Or is this from historic numbers where it's, I don't know, about four or $5,000? Uh, this is Danny Walters. I my assumption would be it would be from the actual 2021 numbers. Now, if that also includes the gap amount that that we're putting forward, I, I that I'm not sure. Um, I actually we hadn't talked about the 2022 numbers exactly. So, um, but that's certainly a conversation that we'll be having very shortly. <laughs> Okay, that's fine. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you, both of you. Commissioner Larson, by the way. Uh, Vice Mayor Shibley, um, in a similar space, um, I, I, I hear you saying your um, the four neighborhoods that, and and I I know, but I just want you to clarify those are the four neighborhoods that qualified at that time under the CDBG. Um, rubric. This is Danny Walters. You want, you want the, the names of them? Is that what you're? I just want to be clear. Um, I, so one of my concerns is that uh, as we are in this transitional process, which I think we're all recognizing, um, I, I wouldn't like some neighborhoods to feel that they weren't invited to a process that only four neighborhoods are now benefiting from. I just want you to clarify, if you can, um, why those four neighborhoods um, in particular are kind of in this process. And, you know, maybe if, if both Danny's could comment on if we're doing the most we can in this transitional process um, to, while we're trying to serve these neighborhoods that were formerly served by CDBG funding uh, to make sure we're not um, um, leaving other neighborhoods out until you come up with the, the larger um, funding process. 
This is Danny Walters, Planning and Development Services. I I think that it just it comes down to timing and to staff capacity in terms of why we were suggesting those four neighborhoods were funded for 2022. Um, you know, the, the the budget process is already moving forward. And to to really do good research, do you know, effective outreach really put together a good robust program that would benefit the neighborhoods. We don't have time for to, to make the 2022 budget. Um, so we didn't want to shortchange that process. So, so that, that is why the four neighborhoods were the, the suggested ones. Uh, thank you, Vice Mayor Shipley. So to be clear, the four neighborhoods would have qualified or maybe in other places would qualify because they're low mod um, qualifying um, for funding from CDBG. And we're just carrying them over to another kind of system. I just wanna make sure that we understand um, under the former process, not every neighborhood in town would have qualified for this funding. It would have been these four neighborhoods. Um, Danny Walters, Planning and Development Service, there are quite a few more neighborhoods that are eligible for CDBG funding that have not historically applied for it. But yes, these, these particular four neighborhoods are eligible on an area-wide basis for bringing um, services to their residents. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> Um, uh, good Vice Mayor Shipley, let, um, now I'm going to ask a non-neighborhood question, um, which I think I probably know the answer to, but just to be sure, um, the CDBG funding that's used on sidewalks for gap funding, I just want to clarify that's not used for city-owned projects, that's used for um, private, side, private sidewalks, um, non-city-owned sidewalks. Uh, to fill gaps, is, is that correct? Danny Walters, Planning and Development Services. Yes, that is correct. Um, these sidewalks uh, can be gap infill and they do have to be in low income or low to moderate income eligible neighborhoods. So, and we, we have checked the, uh, the geography on the, the two that were put forward by MSO and they do fit the eligibility guidelines. Uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, I hate to ask a further question because it may not be in your ballywick, but um, I, my re recollection was that it also uh, encompasses um, uh, ramps and making sure everything is um, ADA compliant. Um, so I, I just want to clarify that. Danny Walters, Planning and Development Services. Yeah, I'm, it, it can cover those. So if, if those are part of the plans, which I'm sure they would be, then they would be covered under the program. Mayor Finkel, I question Danny on the CDBG other city programs. I know you mentioned some of the things we're looking at. And I know one of them was the Splash Park, which I know is in our CIP. Are we talking about um, basically using this money to pay for something we already had budgeted, or is this like an enhancement to the splash park, as an example? Or the, or I think the other one was the uh, um, skate park. 
Danny Walters, Planning and Development Services. I see Derek just popped his camera on. So I think he, he is definitely more equipped to answer that than, than I am. So <laughs> Derek Rogers, Director for Lawrence Parks and Recreation. Um, when we started down the road of splash pads a few years ago on the CIP, um, this was the first one we put forward. And as we started researching splash pads and as our strategic plan has developed, we've been looking at how do we go green? And so we're looking at different options of green and I'm starting to sweat with the money that we allocate in the CIP towards a splash pad. And I wanted to make sure that we had money available in a different avenue as we price out the first one. I think that's supposed to be on the May 4th city commission meetings our plan. Mayor Finkler, how about the skate park then? The skate park over at Edgewood was the, the bathrooms, outdoors. Uh, we don't have anything over there with disc golf picking up. It's in a neighborhood they can use it and water. Uh, we have worked with the group, the skaters over there that have in the past done some CDBG grant requests. And that was one that um, they hadn't thought of in a while. And, when we found out that the city had some allocated funds and Danny, Danny had asked for projects, that was one we thought of. At Centennial Park, we've been working with the group over there. There's a CIP project to do a revamp and we're also later this year redoing the surface. It's aging and when they built the skate park at Centennial, it, um, it should have been done more thoroughly than it was way back when. The half pipe had aged out and became a danger, so it was being taken down. And so that was one area within that neighborhood, the Centennial, that uh, gets a lot of use. And that's why that project was uh, selected by Parks and Rec. Mayor Pinkler, thank you for that, Derek. Yeah. Other questions before I open it to public comment? Seeing none, um, I will officially open the public comment and uh, and this is the public hearing portion of that. But if someone would, uh, anyone would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using your raise your hand feature. Or if you're present, um, Sherry will call upon you. Barry Shalinsky. I'm Barry Shalinsky. I am president of the East Lawrence Neighborhood Association. Um, I don't even know what to say. Um, the entire matrix system from the point of view of the neighborhoods is flawed. And there was a bias baked into it against funding us. Um, there is a proposed grantee that is a $24 million nonprofit, according to their 990, and they get 
points on the matrix for not needing the money as badly as a neighborhood association does. Um, I am extremely disturbed to hear that, um, well, first of all, I'm pleased that there is some um, movement to looking at uh, future funding from other mechanisms. But I'm really disturbed that people are talking about deciding numbers based on this year's inadequate funding uh, that are gonna last for the next year and a half. And that um, this three minutes is really our only opportunity to address um, what we do, what we need, um, and we can't do that, especially with no notice before tonight that that's what we were doing. Um, so I will just say that we've done amazing work during the pandemic. We have been extremely collaborative with community organizations. We've been extremely collaborative with city departments um, and we have not had access to a lot of our traditional fundraising because of the pandemic. We are certainly in favor of other neighborhoods receiving funding. We think that this new program could work, but I really wanna hear uh, that there's gonna be some collaboration and that um, our needs and our opinions and those of every neighborhood are part of the process. It's not just uh, bureaucrats at City Hall looking yeah. at past numbers and making recommendations without talking to us. Thank you. Renee Cool. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to um, uh, speak up and express my gratitude um, for the process that city commission, uh, I mean, city staff have put in place um, for awarding their CDBG funding this year. Um, the funding that we get awarded through the CDBG block grant um, supports a housing-based case manager who is supporting individuals with a history of homelessness um, in our rapid rehousing program. So that um, full-time staff member is supported by this grant in addition to um, uh, a director who provides supervision. And this funding is really crucial federal funding that helps us move people with disabilities out of homelessness and transition to permanent housing stability. Um, so I'm super grateful that um, that this process has yielded for us the ability to um, create those supportive services. Uh, we do that housing first uh, case manager does work with these clients on a housing first basis. And again, clients are 
moved into our rapid rehousing program through coordinated entry. So you can kind of see how this small piece of funding braids in with the other programming and the other funding that we receive to support our community-wide process that is um, working on ending chronic homelessness. So um, uh, all the little pieces come together and this, this CDVG funding is a crucial part of that um, braiding of funding streams for us. And um, this case manager is the only housing-based case manager that we have at this time. We're hoping to grow the program, but it's really, really crucial that this person is there supporting people who um, have a history of homelessness and who need ongoing support um, as they receive rental assistance to ensure that they get to the doctor, that they're communicating with their landlord, that they're paying their bills on time, and um, that they're needs are being met so that they can stay independently and stably housed. So thank all, thank you, all five of you. And thank you, Danny, especially for um, just how tirelessly she works to direct these federal funds to um, nonprofits for who are doing these, this really crucial work. Patricia Miller. Hi, thank you. Um, I am Pat Miller. I'm the treasurer for Pinckney Neighborhood Association. May I share my screen, please? Yes. Um, Pinckney Neighborhood has gotten grant funding for quite a while from this city, and we really appreciate that. We're one of the four neighborhoods who've traditionally been getting some CDBG money. Um, I'll have to say that the CDBG process is very excruciating for a neighborhood association because we are not an organization like other organizations that you're dealing with. We are a bunch of volunteers. If we're lucky, if we're very, very lucky, we have a coordinator. Um, on the, the screen that you can see, there is just a very short um, presentation of what we consider the very minimal requirements for us to do our job to make sure that we're communicating effectively with um, the people in our neighborhood. Um, before adding in the coordinator costs, um, it, it's about $3,600 a year. And if we have a coordinator for really a bare minimum of 15 um, hours per month, uh, it's it adds up to over $6,000. This year we asked for 58, 55, but our budget, which included a few more things than the bare minimum was six, uh, seven, a little over 7,000. And we serve 1,800 households and about 3,000 residents, about 60% of which are in a low mod category. Let me see if I can, oops, there. Um, I just wanna remind the city that what the neighborhoods do is integral to being, to the comprehensive plan, the 2040 plan includes an entire chapter on what neighborhoods do. Um, and um, I'm not going to read this to you. I'm sure you're familiar with the plan, but but having strong neighborhoods is vital to actually being able to implement um, the comprehensive plan effectively. Um, the, the plan update um, 
Issue six in the report was specifically about creating quality neighborhoods. And a quote is widely considered to be one of the fundamental building blocks of the community. The neighborhood's role, both in the community's composition and in the comprehensive plan is a vital one. And um, the strategic plan, which implements the comprehensive plan specifically calls out the need for strong and welcoming neighborhoods. Here's an example at the top of the page of the kind of things that we do. Um, again, it's with volunteers um, and the, the coordinator is crucial to helping us fulfill uh, our role to really help the city. I'd really like the city to not consider the neighborhoods as a charity, charity to be funded, but an integral part of what it takes for the city to implement the comprehensive plan. And what Pinkney yes. would really like to see is if we can't be included in the uh, grant funding that we develop um, in collaboration with city, the city, a process for us to have consistent and reliable funding that fully funds our core needs and so that we can help implement the the strategic plan and one thank you oh thank you three minutes up thank you anju mishra good evening to all of you uh, my name is anju mishra i work for housing and credit counseling and um i want to thank all of you that you know so diligently and work so hard to distribute this, you know, pool of money to the nonprofits. You know, we all have a place in the community and um, the Housing and Credit Counseling actually basically is a counseling agency and uh, we do not, you know, like give out help, direct money help to, you know, help with the rent or utilities. So our position is a little bit difficult, but however, you know, because we provide not only preventive services counseling, but also we provide, you know, the crisis counseling, whether it is for mortgage foreclosures or it is for garnishments or tenant landlord housing. So thank you very much to all the commissioners and Danny and Danny. Thank you very much for that consideration. We really appreciate it. We are still uh, work from home. We have been doing counseling and taking in calls. The number of crisis calls have increased, you know, like tripled in the pandemic for us. And we are still available for counseling. It is free. So thank you. These funds make it, you know, it helps us keep our doors open and, you know, counsel people and um, anybody can call us and make an appointment. Thank you very much. Michael Allman. Hi, good evening. My name is Michael Allman. I'm the Vice President of Brook Creek Neighborhood Association. Uh, once again, I apologize that my computer is not equipped with a camera, so you just have to look at my photograph. <laughs> um, Pat Miller of Pinckney Neighborhood really said a lot of what I had on my mind. Uh, particularly, I wanted to point out that our funding numbers from CDBG show a similar profile that typically we've been funded at around 5,000 plus some change over the years, some more or less. Uh, but 
two years ago um, that was cut back. And then last year it was cut back even more. Um, in 2019, for instance, we were at 4,800 funding level, just under 5,000. And we barely, we had to cut back on our communications, our abilities, our print newsletter, things like that. This year, or well, in 2021 funding, um, down to 3,000. And I just wanted to point out what that means for the, the ability of our neighborhoods to be strong and welcoming. Um, Low-income neighborhoods can function for the benefit of their citizens, their neighbors, and the city at large only if we have adequate funding. Um, we, we wanted to, we had a coordinator at that funding level, but about halfway through the, through the year, she couldn't, she couldn't survive that with that low funding level and she found another job that was better paying. We advertised for another coordinator, got five applications. One of them looked at the numbers that we were offering for a salary and turned it down immediately. We interviewed four of them, three that we thought were very well qualified. They all uh, declined taking the job because the funding was too low. Um, there needs to be some, some fundamental basic support for the neighborhoods consistent year to year. Um, this process that is, keeps everybody guessing and then fluctuates back and forth is not gonna work. Um, what we would suggest is that for strong neighborhoods, the city should give an, an, an automatic uh, funding floor of some set amount that all the neighborhoods should consult with the city on Mayor. what that amount would be. And then if we wanna compete for any more funding for additional uh, projects or events or whatever above and beyond that floor funding, then that would be all good and fine. But it should be uh, um, automatic every year that if you want <laughs> these neighborhoods to be strong, they need funding. Um, I go. Can you wrap up? Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you. You can you. your thought, but thank you. Thank you. This is Sherry Riedemann, City Clerk. Is there anyone else who would like to provide public comment on this item? That's it there. Mayor Finkel, I thank you. I'll bring it back. Um, to the commission and Danny, is that sufficient for the public hearing side? Do we close it now or do we close it after we vote? Uh, Danny Walters, community, uh, Planning and Development Services. You, you can close the public hearing now and then if there's additional direction you would like to give us, uh, we can take that. Mayor Finkel, I thank you for that. We'll go ahead and close the public comment. Also know that as Danny mentioned earlier, you can provide written comment up and through May 21st, but go ahead and bring it back to the commission for comments, questions, and discussion. Vice Mayor Shipley, um, I, 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 uh, of course, I welcome comment from 
both of the Dannys. Uh, but I wonder if I could um, engage the city manager a little bit here about um, just from a leadership level and a, and a high level um, on, on neighborhood funding. And um, I'm sure you're hearing the concerns from the neighborhoods that we, we've been hearing. Um, and of course, it's hard to reassure them from where we are right now. Um, and it, of course, kind of hard for staff to uh, reassure them with no framework. Um, but I wonder, Craig, if you could um, talk to us about how you are leading staff in the way they're creatively approaching um, funding things in a different way, uh, looking things in a different way, uh, specifically from our strategic plan. Um, I, I, I don't. I can you can you help me here? Um, uh, show the neighborhoods that we're trying to be creative and fund them um, specifically in the way that they're asking um, on their own merit and not uh, compared to other things, but but because of their importance in our strategic plan. I'll do my best. Uh, this is City Manager Craig Owens. Um, I, first of all, I, I, I do think that as I've come to understand the CDBG allocations, um, and Danny has educated me on those uh, in the process that we're trying to move towards, um, it, it may be that it's just more appropriate that general fund um, fund the type of supports the, these neighborhoods have been receiving, um, and that's completely fine. Um, I think what we're trying to go to more um, strategically with the strategic plan is that we're very intentional about what we're trying to, the results that we're trying to get, even to measure those results and how we're making progress as a community on the top priorities. So having wide open competitive grant processes may not be the most strategic way to spend every dollar that we have. So um, I don't know if that's the creative part, but what I am saying is if we've if we've intended and it sounds like um, without looking at anything else um, in all of the different budgeting priorities that we're going to have to be that we are working to put a budget together on against the key performance indicators in the strategic plan. Um, this these neighborhood um, associations provide a great deal of value and they are probably going to align very well with a couple of the um, outcome areas that we've worked so hard to define. So just as an example, I mean, those are those are some areas where they're going to provide from what I've heard tonight and what I've come to understand about these neighborhood associations and the work they do, they should provide a very high value and be one of the best ways that we can move our towards these goals um, through the general fund, uh, through those other sources, but to kind of draw paint them into, even though it's a long historical process, and I was educated this week by one of the neighborhood leaders um, on that, it's a, uh, or last week, uh, it's it's a, um, even though it's traditionally been a CDBG kind of bucket that they've always come out of, maybe it's more appropriate, we're gonna get better results out of a different one. So it's a pretty long question, and I think I made a longer answer uh, to that, but we're we are trying to move towards a strategic plan focused budgeting process where we're we're driving towards results in intentional ways. 
Mayor Finkel, I have no questions or comments. I guess I'll jump in and I, I mean, I tend to agree that, um, you know, I think in years past we had, let's just say a limited framework upon which to judge, you know, requests like this from the general fund and CDBG, of course, you know, it's certainly allowed under CDBG. And so we had, um, I think that's historically how we got there. Um, but as we move towards this, as, as Craig said, towards an intentional um, path through our strategic plan, I can think of quite a few, um, like including strong and welcoming neighborhoods, but communication or helping having them help us in public um, engagement as a commitment. Um, and, and so I, I see lots of paths where this um, lines up and more of a general fund such that we could fund them more consistently than we could through the CDPG. Um, I would say that if we're heading in that direction, I would be somewhat interested in, in funding, I guess it's five twelfths, but using five twelfths of, of maybe the 2019 numbers and, or 2020 numbers instead of the 2021 numbers, which we had already cut. And then I think, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we have the full applications in front that we can consider in the 2022 budget. And obviously, City Manager will make a recommendation on that. We'll have public hearings on that, and we'll make an eventual decision on that. So there'll be additional comment period as we look at how much we fund in 2022 that um, both we get to consider as well as the public. So at least that's kind of the way I'm leaning at the moment. But Yeah, this is Commissioner Larson, and um, something that I spoke with Danny here last week, or maybe it was the week before, Danny and I had a short conversation about this funding, and something that she had said to me kind of stuck, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, this is how I remember, is that is that other that you've looked at other organizations and how they use their CDBG money, and you couldn't find any that used it for neighborhood uh, coordinators or communications such as that, so... I think it just solidified for me the, the thought that this isn't the maybe the best funding tool for our neighborhoods, the CDBG, because the, the monies are going to various social services. So that's why I've thought for quite some time that we needed to possibly look at shifting going into general fund. And with the passing of our strategic plan, it aligns so closely with what our neighborhood, what we want our neighborhoods to be, that it seems to me that this is the appropriate way to fund it. And the idea of, um, you know, having the funding expectation um, be similar every year, as long as the, the funding's there, um, I think that that would, you know, make it much more comfortable for the neighborhoods, but they do, they play a huge role in, in our communications um, in our neighborhoods, as well as just engagement with um, their own neighbors. So I'm definitely interested in seeing um, the funding idea out of the general fund, as well as looking at um, potentially finding um, funding to um, bring it up to the levels that they were two years ago. This is Commissioner Ananda. Yeah, I think that this has been a conversation that's been incubating for a long time and held in various iterations in the years, even since I've been on the commission. Um, so I'm glad that we're having this conversation. We can focus those funds on those organizations that are doing work that impacts every neighborhood in our community. 
um, but particularly our Lomond neighborhoods as well for folks experiencing housing insecurity and other issues. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful that we're having the conversation about where does this come from? How can we provide that stability and meet the ends of not only CDBG, but our strategic plan? This Commissioner Bullen, I'd like to thank Pat Miller for her presentation. It kind of took me back. Um, I was the treasurer of the Schwegler Neighborhood Association about 35 years ago. And uh, so I'm have some memories of how difficult things were. Um, and, you know, my neighborhood association, the Swagler's Neighborhood Association has been long dormant, but it came back a few years ago. And so I'm really concerned about the other neighborhoods that qualify for CDBG projects and funding, but aren't organized and, and asking for funds. So as we go forward to the new program in 2023, I think it's really critical for us to include as, and, and, and work with those folks, you know, um, and we might be able to get some help from the four that are, that are currently working and successful and learn from them. Um, but also realize that um, I don't know the exact number of neighbor associations, but you know, if, if all of them were up and running and, and asking for funding at the same level that you know, R4 have uh, with good reason, that would take up the entire CDBG budget for, for, for this category, I think. So I think coming up with a separate way to fund them um, and, and work with them is, is a really good idea. Mayor Finkel, I, um, I think we're heading towards consensus on that issue. I just didn't want to um, miss the chance to thank Danny and the work you did on the rest of the CDBG and home. Um, as you said, there's a lot of work that goes into this plan. There's a lot of work that goes into these different projects. As Renee and others mentioned tonight, these provide some critical social services. Um, we've heard about city programs. Um, and you know, this is a key component in lots of activities here in town. And, and certainly we don't know yet, but it's, it's quite possible that that amount will increase in the coming years. So having that framework and having the matrix, um, I, I think is important. And I appreciate the work you've done with the plan and the work you've done with our affordable housing um, group to work these recommendations up to us. And obviously the uh, neighborhoods is a, a tricky subject and I think we'll head towards consensus on that, but appreciate the rest of the work um, on this program. And with that, I don't know if anyone has other comments or, or motions. And maybe I would pause and um, not sure who, who to ask, maybe, maybe Danielle or maybe Sherry, if we want to make a change to the recommendation on the temporary amounts, that doesn't seem to be part of the CDBG um, actual recommendation. Would that be a separate motion of some sort or direction for Craig and Jeremy to bring it back on yet another uh, quarterly budget amendment? Or how would you want us to bring that forward? 
This is uh, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. I can I can jump in, um, and if anyone else has anything to add, please uh, on the city staff side, please do. Um, if you all could provide some direction about what you want that gap to look like, um, we could then bring forward kind of a subsequent agenda item for you all to consider and actually take action. Um, and then yes, we will add that to the third quarter uh, budget adjustment for you all to review. Um, any changes that have made been made between tonight and that third quarter adjustment. Mayor Fingal, I thank you. I was, that's what I was thinking. So maybe, Commission, if we have one motion, which is probably the one on the agenda about the action plan and home and CDBG, and then there would be a, a second motion to provide direction to staff on the 2021 um, funding for the neighborhood groups. This is Commissioner Nanda. Is there a motion to be made on the, I think, are we just receiving the plan? Danny Walters, Planning oh. and Development Services. Yeah, sorry, I was just uh, going to let you know. Uh, we didn't have a motion for this evening. Okay. Um, all you were doing was receiving the recommendations and then holding the public hearing. You will have the final um, say so on the recommendations on June 1st. So. Mayor Finkelai, Commissioner Ananda, Danny, thank you for that correction. So we don't need to take any action on the CDBG recommendations as they exist today. We'll continue to gather comments. If we'd like to give direction on the 2021 temporary, we can do that now, give direction and ask that to be brought back on the future agenda item accordingly budget adjustment. So thoughts? Thanks, Mayor Shipley. I, I, I would, I would support that. If there's uh, other commissioners that um, are interested in in um, continuing to help neighborhoods, um, for example, keep their coordinators, um, which is extremely important for them, um, or continue with their newsletters, I think that that um, that's what that money would do. Yeah, this is Commissioner Larson. Um, I would be interested in uh, looking at the funding level to bring it back to what it was before the cut this last, I think it was last fall, was when the, no, I shouldn't say cut, it was when they were just funded at a different level. I'm sorry. Does that make sense? Mayor, Mayor Finkeldye, um, so my recommendation would be, and I could turn into a motion if need be, is that for we direct staff to bring back a um, budget amendment, which would provide from August to December, so five twelfths of the 2019 allocation, as opposed to the 2020 allocation or the 2021 allocation. So the 2019 allocation, which was 4,800. Is that a motion, Mayor? Is I'll Commissioner make that Larson? motion then. Okay, I second. Uh, Commissioner Larson, second. Sherry, before I uh, ask for a vote, do you, do you have that direction? And I know it's coming back to us, so but I just want to be sure you have that, Sherry. I do have it, Mayor. Thank you. Okay. There's a Mayor Fingalai. There's a. Um, I've made a motion, seconded by Commissioner Lawson. Um, I will vote aye. Commissioner Lawson. Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley. Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. And Commissioner Bully? Aye. Passes five to zero. 
and we'll go ahead and accept the CDBG. Thank you, Danny and Danny, for that presentation. I think we'll go ahead and take a 10-minute break till 8.02 and come back with agenda item number three. Mayor Finkelheimer, we're coming back from break, and I will take roll call. I don't... There's Vice Mayor Shipley. Here. Commissioner Ananda. Here. Commissioner Lawson. Here. Commissioner Bully. Here. Mayor Finkelheimer, present. As I said, we're back from our break. We're ready to take up regular agenda item number three, which is an update on the field operations campus. Andy, do you get to lead us off? Yes, I do, Mayor. Thank you. Um, Porter, could you allow Tara Bray to share her screen? Absolutely. Thank you. You should be able to go. Okay, looks good. Well, good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I'm Andy Inns, Engineering Program Manager for the Municipal Services and Operations Department. I will be presenting an update on the Field Operations Campus project with the design team from Dakewell's Architecture, Ortel Architects, and CFS Engineers. Uh, last September, we presented an initial draft of the Field Operations Campus Master Plan to the Commission. During that meeting, you requested information about the, efficient, the efficiencies gained by the project. Um, since that presentation, we've developed an efficiency summary, completed the Field Operations Campus Master Plan Report, and studied additional sites for a potential decentralized campus. We will present this information tonight and request action on the next steps in the project. <clears throat> So um, what we see here is um, in the first phase of this project uh, was development of the field operations campus master plan and goals of the master plan process included understanding how the field operations divisions work together and the conditions of the facilities they work in. Based on this information, um, the design team determined how the division should be grouped what the new facilities might look like and how much they might cost and how the facilities could be phased. Next slide, please. So this project aligns with several of the city's strategic plan outcomes and commitments. I'll focus on a few of the commitments that support the connected city outcome, which states the city has well-maintained functional and efficient infrastructure, facilities and other assets. Um, you know, just looking at the photos here, um, so some of that could be a little bit questionable on the condition and, and location of these uh, existing facilities. Next, okay, I'm sorry, go back to the previous slide. There we go. So one of the commitments is sound fiscal stewardship. Um, as you'll see throughout the presentation, the consolidated field operations campus at the farmland site is the most cost-effective way to address current facility and site realities. And the reality is the existing facilities are critically undersized for current and future needs. Uh, they need major operational and safety improvements 
and several of the facilities at 11th and Haskell are in the floodway. Next slide, please. Another commitment is environmental sustainability. Um, the master plan process included a sustainability workshop where we developed a framework for sustainable performance, including coordination with the farmland remediation project, conservation of water and energy, uh, being a good neighbor, and employee wellness. And with that, I will let Dan um, speak next. Hi, uh, I'm Dan McGinn with Dake Wells. So our contract with the city was to do programming for 13 uh, divisional field operations, and then to explore how a field operations campus could make uh, operations more effective through a master plan. In order to understand the program for the divisions, we visited each of them and studied how they operated on their current sites. And in so doing, we became aware of the challenges that many of the divisions currently have with regard to doing renovations or additions in place in their current locations. So this chart looks at the top four challenges we saw in the current operations. Um, you can see there on the upper right um, along the top. Um, needing major deferred maintenance, being critically undersized, having site size limitations and being in a restricted floodway area. And just as a reminder, Andy mentioned this, but you know, uh, floodways are kind of a big deal. They're, they're the zones that are designed, uh, or they are designated to carry active floodwaters and debris at speed during a flooding event. Um, the red rectangles you see here denote a critical issue for that division that's listed on the left. Um, the pink denotes kind of a substantial but solvable issue and the white uh, denotes no issue. So the most critical challenge we're making you aware of uh, tonight is related to the two issues on the side, those two columns, site size limitations and floodway restrictions. As you can see, if you counted them up there, eight of the 13 divisions have at least uh, one of these critical issues that would lead us to strongly recommend relocating those divisions. Next slide. So we'll look at the divisions quickly on their current sites and uh, turn to help explain the issues, starting with the uh, central maintenance garage or CMG uh, existing facility, as you can see the images up there um, and the site plan on the upper left, about 12,000 square feet uh, built in a different era for a much smaller fleet, even when vehicles were much smaller. Um, the CMG has all four issues in the previous grid uh, as red, so it's in need of a of major deferred maintenance. It's critically undersized. Its site is too small to expand. And um, even if it wasn't too small, it's in the floodway. So it's against city code to renovate or add on to. Next slide. So we were asked to program a new facility to meet the current and future needs of the CMG. And that's what you see there. Uh, on the right in our um, conceptual design. This layout is based on national best practices for a maintenance garage serving a municipal fleet the size of Lawrence. Um, on any of the divisions, it wasn't our intent uh, to design an extravagant building or something that's beyond what you need. We worked really closely with uh, staff and management and boots on the ground to determine what was needed to operate properly. So that goes for CMG as well as all the divisions to follow. And then you can kind of can see in comparison to what uh, our conceptual design was to what you have now. And just to note, those are both at the same scale. 
So current site plan on the left with the existing footprint shown as a red rectangle. And you can see the floodway marked as that big reddish stripe that kind of cuts across the site. Again, that's not the 100-year or 500-year floodplain that everyone talks about. That's the actual floodway designed to carry flood water and debris. So our needs analysis for every division um, typically included the list of the a list similar to what you see on the right, administrative spaces, vehicle storage spaces, and operation critical spaces, which we also refer to as division operational spaces or DOS spaces, um, in addition to site requirements. So on the left is the current site with just under 12,000 square feet, shown as that small rectangle, and on the right, uh, is the 68,000 square foot footprint of the required program. That's the white rectangle. And then the red line around the white rectangle shows the immediate site program needs. So as you can see, the site is just too small. And again, even if it was large enough, it would require building into the floodway, which isn't allowed. Um, solid waste division, um, a little tiny red um, rectangle on the left uh, shows the solid waste facility currently at its location in 11th and Haskell. And then that second red rectangle up on the top just indicates that there's supporting buildings at other locations, including industrial lane. So an ideal facility has all of the program under one roof. So the white rectangle shows about 46,000 square feet of admin and divisional operational spaces. And then the gray rectangle shows um, 144,000 square feet of vehicle storage for all the solid waste uh, fleet. Again, the site almost entirely in the floodway, so expansion isn't allowed by code. Streets and stormwater divisions, uh, site plan on the left shows the current footprints of street and stormwater division. And on the right, the white rectangle represents about 38,000 square feet of admin and divisional operational spaces and about 135,000 uh, square feet for vehicle storage. Once again, almost entirely in the floodway, so expansion isn't allowed by code. Water, wastewater, and inspections division, um, site plan on the left, current footprint as red rectangles for those three divisions. And on the right, the white rectangle representing about um, 34,000 square feet of admin and divisional operational, and gray rectangle about 76,000 of vehicle storage. So in this instance, there isn't a floodway issue, but the site is too small. Um, and there was a strong desire that these three divisions be located together with uh, streets, stormwater, and traffic. And then the next is traffic division, uh, site plan on the left. And on the right, the white rectangle about um, actually similar size, 17,000 square feet for the building, but um, it doesn't cover the uh, gray um, rectangle re representing uh, vehicle storage space. So again, in this instance, the issue isn't the floodway, but it's the size of the site and its location in the middle of a neighborhood um, and the request importantly, from MSO leadership that the traffic division be included with uh, five other, uh, other public works type divisions. Then next one, forestry existing on the left, projected on the right. In this, in this instance, there is not a floodway issue, but the site is a little small, um, but uh, forestry benefits from being close to horticulture. Um, and that one is in the floodway, which you'll see in the next slide existing on the left, projected on the right. As you can see, that projects into the floodway. So that creates kind of a conundrum with 
that duality of forestry and horticulture. And then two more facilities maintenance division uh, existing on the left, projected on the right. Um, no floodway or site size issues here. So this facility could be upgraded on the site um, if that was the determination of city leadership. And household hazardous waste um, existing on the left, projected on the right. No floodway or site size issues here. So the facility could be upgraded uh, on site if that was the determination. Um, next, I'll turn it over to Tara to talk about which divisions are most critical to address in our minds. Thanks, Dan. This is Tara Bray with Jake Wells. Um, as Dan mentioned, after taking the existing conditions analysis into consideration, as well as required divisional adjacencies, the design team determined that MSO divisions, the central maintenance garage, and the solid waste division are of highest priority. I think we lost you. Tara, Tara appears to be muted. Tara, you're you're still muted. Are you guys able to hear me now? This is Tara Bray with Dake Wells. Yes. Sorry about that. Um, so these divisions were prioritized due to their major deferred maintenance, their undersized facilities, as well as their site size limitations and floodway restrictions. The central maintenance garage and the solid waste division would greatly benefit from being located directly adjacent to one another and would require about 28 acres. The MSO divisions also benefit from being located directly adjacent to one another, and they would require about 33.4 acres. A site selection process was conducted in 2019 by city staff, but after the master plan was developed, the design team went back to confirm if any other additional sites are available. This map shows all of the properties owned by the city of Lawrence, and the key on the left side of the screen marks their current uses. The design team analyzed these properties to determine which met the criteria for the location of field operations divisions. The only city-owned sites that meet appropriate use and size requirements for CMG and solid waste or MSO divisions are the far farmland site, the Venture Park site, and the West 40 site. A master plan was conducted for a full field operations campus on a farmland site. The Venture Park site holds value for the city and is designated currently as an industrial business park and the West 40 site meets requirements for either CMG and solid waste or the MSO divisions, but is not large enough for um, the whole field operations campus. We'll first take a look at the farmland site and the operations campus master plan. 
This master plan strategically locates all field operations campus divisions on a single site. The fact that the farmland site is in need of remediation is actually a unique opportunity for the location of this campus. Um, with contaminants in this condition, the most effective way to remediate is to either cap the soil with buildings or pavement or cover the contaminated areas with deep-rooted plants that absorb water. And this field operations campus master plan does both of those things in a coordinated effort with GHD. And now I will pass it back to Dan to talk about construction phasing. I'm Dan again with Dake Wells. So a quick look at recommended phasing. Uh, looking at pr the priorities that Tara mentioned, we're currently showing the first phase of the campus to include the entry road to the campus, a new fuel island, and what we're calling the MSO building, which would include uh, six divisions, water, wastewater, streets, stormwater, traffic, and inspections, along with wash bays. That long gray rectangle adjacent to the letter B um, that would be um, vehicle parking for the fleet. And for the most part, uh, this first phase would not require a lot of remediation, just a little bit to the southeast of, the, of uh, the affected area. And we'll talk about cost implications for all these phases in a few slides. Um, these current few slides that I'm gonna touch are mostly about how the pieces would just fit together in phasing. So the next slide would be uh, phase two, central maintenance garage located east of phase one. Uh, this area would need remediation, so the building and paving would uh, cap that area, and the soils that were disturbed during that process would be treated and used for landscaping um, and berming. Phase three would be for solid waste located to the northeast of phase two. This area would also need remediation, so just like phase two, the building and paving would cap that area and excavated uh, soils would be treated and used for landscape and berming. And then phase four would be to come back and build a structure over all of those fleet vehicles to the west of phase one, which we're showing there is that large north-south uh, white rectangle. Phase five would include three divisions, uh, facilities, uh, facilities maintenance, uh, forestry, and horticulture. Um, this area would need remediation, so we do the same process as phases two and three. And then finally, the last phase, phase six, would include household hazardous waste. Um, and now I'll turn it over to Aaron to talk about uh, site selection just a little bit more. Thank you. I'm Aaron Gasper, CFS engineers. Uh, here again are the narrowed down three city owned sites sized to handle this facility or part of it. Uh, of course, farmland is where we've already conducted the master plan study. Uh, Venture Park, south of farmland, has the size but is viewed as holding additional value due to its proximity and frontage to 23rd Street. And the West 40, uh, we'll look at a little bit further here in the next few slides, could meet the requirements for only part of the campus. Um, so now we'll look at that site specifically to the MSO building and or CMG and solid waste. Here are a few photos of the existing site showing the undocumented fill that's on the site, uh, lime treatment ponds, overhead power lines, uh, the existing fuel island, uh, the access to Wakarusa, 
and the residential to the north. Uh, there's also residential to the east of this site as well. The, uh, this slide shows the existing site layout where with some of the existing site features are located, uh, including the water treatment plant there to the southeast, access to Wakarusa, uh, the residential to the north and to the east, ponds, uh, the fill and lay down areas, the power lines, the fuel islands, and the uh, drainage way. The next slide shows the approximate acreages of these areas. And to the left, we compared it to the CMG solid waste and the MSO acreage requirements from the program. This slide shows what the MSO facility footprint could look like on this site. Uh, I also wanna point out, it's important to note that we looked at the design building footprints from the farmland study on this West 40 site, not the programmed. Um, as we will discuss later, uh, an advantage of a combined campus is the efficiencies, shared spaces and resources that can be used to minimize building footprints. A non-centralized campus isn't as efficient and can cause the need to expand building footprints to meet the needs of the program. Um, on the left are a few pros to point out on this property, that it is city owned. It is closer to likely city expansion. Um, there is enough acreage for the MSO building. Uh, there is an existing laydown area and city facilities and infrastructure is currently on or at the site. Under this scenario, uh, CMG and solid waste would be located out at farmland. This slide shows a uh, few cons to this layout as it creates the non-centralized campus, um, which increases travel time between operations. Uh, there, as seen earlier, we would have to deal with the undocumented fill on the site as you do not want to put a building on undocumented fill. There's residential on two sides of this site. There's power lines and easement to avoid and construction mobilization now at two locations, as well as the need for two fuel islands. Um, there's also a need on this site to build a detention pond that isn't on this site, but is out at farmland. And also we would have to look at the cause, the increased traffic at Wakarusa would cause the need for improvements at that access point. And then on also remediation would still be needed at farmland. Um, also any development here would need to meet the needs of fire department requirements, which would have to have two access points um, as shown at Wakarusa on this layout. This uh, slide shows what CMG and solid waste facility footprints would look like at this site. Um, the pros are similar to the MSO building as being city owned enough acreage and infrastructure at the site. Um, again, under this scenario, the MSO building would be located at farmland. The list of cons are also similar to the MSO, except the last, the need to 
um, multiple buildings to be constructed. Uh, any development here would also need the second point of access to meet fire department requirements. After our analysis and looking at all the pros and cons, we concluded that the farmland site is recommended for the full campus. Um, the first four phases here are bolded as a reminder as they are the highest priority. Um, the recommendation has a lot to do with the efficiencies and benefits of a centralized campus that Andrew will now go into further detail. Good evening, everybody. Andrew Cooper, Thorntail Architects in St. Paul, Minnesota. I am going to review some of the efficiencies and benefits uh, that come along with consolidating uh, operations uh, onto a single site and relocating out of the floodway. Uh, we've touched on the floodway quite a bit, including at the very beginning of the presentation. Uh, you know, removal of these critical operations from the uh, these floodplains and uh, uh, areas uh, reduces the damage potential uh, to uh, the fleet and operations. Uh, you know, taking that 20, $21 million equipment investment um, that would need to be replaced in the event of a major uh, uh, flood is critical to maintaining those operations so we don't have those di uh, disruptions uh, to service throughout the city. And then also we have the potential for a, a major environmental cleanup event uh, that we can really mitigate uh, by locating uh, out of this uh, area. Uh, one of the other benefits to improving work conditions is the employee health that, uh, that we'd be uh, addressing with the newer facilities. Um, improving the internal work environment uh, helps uh, increase productivity, uh, whether it's through daylight or increase and increase uh, employee health with, by reducing the potential for respiratory illnesses, um, harmful fumes from these vehicles that uh, are started and run within a, an interior space. Um, we can uh, get those to uh, be extracted uh, while they're being occupied. We really uh, reduce the amount of exposure to the employees uh, in these improved work conditions. And it also helps reduce overall turnover and employee morale. Uh, proper facilities, uh, once outfitted with uh, the appropriate technologies and equipment, uh, are really going to extend the life of the equipment that uh, MSO uses in their day-to-day -day operations. So in this example, uh, it's a central maintenance uh, garage uh, properly outfitted with the ability to perform work in a timely manner uh, is really going to save what is that uh, $300,000 cost is really the cost of a single large specialized piece of equipment uh, that CMG is primarily responsible for servicing, whether that's a, a large plow truck, a fire truck, or a solid waste uh, vehicle. Uh, you know, building on that uh, preventative maintenance ability to prolong life of equipment, uh, washing vehicles is one of the easiest things uh, to do to lengthen the life of this equipment. It's also something that uh, general MSO employees can do rather than specific CMG uh, and, and maintenance technicians. Uh, by properly washing uh, on a regular basis this, these vehicles, you can extend the life of those vehicles. Again, we're looking at the cost of a, of a truck per year, of a piece of equipment per year over the life of the facility. And you can see how uh, through an MSO and CMG cost, uh, 
that's a, a, almost a $300,000 as we predicted on the other one, but the cost of those solid waste vehicles being uh, more uh, because of the specialization of the vehicle, uh, being able to identify and catch problems early uh, saves uh, and extends the life of these vehicles. Uh, employee turnover and training with a proper, uh, properly outfitted workspaces, aligning with your, your goals as a city, uh, can really help uh, retain employees uh, within the city, uh, attract new employees, uh, and train them properly for upwardly movement. It was a lot. It was something that we really heard from staff that um, getting employees in, keeping employees on staff, and then giving them an opportunity to learn and move up with, within the organization was really something that uh, was critical to them. And by providing those uh, those amenities. We can reduce the amount of time the city is training new employees and then having to attract those new employees as well. Uh, improving work tasks by centralizing everybody into one spot it just increases that overall communication. Everybody knows what uh, each other is doing, whether it's traffic to uh, stormwater or streets to inspections. Everybody has the chance to get together in one space and they can have that constant communication. Uh, that constant commu communication allows them to reduce the amount of time that they're driving back and forth between facilities, uh, uh, having to set up specific meetings that might take a little bit longer. So what you're seeing here in the savings is uh, really the ability to get staff out into the job that they're supposed to be doing, whether it's uh, servicing infrastructure, servicing vehicles, picking up solid waste, rather than meeting they're out there doing the work that they're tasked with doing. So that that's kind of a, a staff uh, operational savings just to get them out into doing their um, intended job. And of course, uh, divisional adjacencies, having everybody together in a consolidated campus reduces the, the spread and the amount of travel that is going back and forth between these separate facilities. In this example, we're looking at solid waste that has already has two separate facilities that they are driving back and forth between. Uh, so we're looking at hours of travel per year saved. Um, that travel time uh, reduces the amount of uh, access back and forth for separate staff uh, in their workflows. And also uh, by consolidating solid waste with CMG, uh, a considerable amount of travel time saved for that uh, truck repair. Uh, fueling efficiency, uh, if any of you have ever seen the fueling activities uh, at the end of day over at 11th and Haskell, you'll understand that um, there's a, a very small a fuel island there and a very large fleet that has to use it. And it's not just MSO and solid waste, it's also police and fire. So by improving the fueling facilities, uh, facilities we're allowing those fuel times to be reduced. So there's uh, less waiting time uh, vehicles idling out on the street, uh, waiting to get on site, waiting to fuel. Uh, it doesn't change the amount of time that each truck is actually fueling, uh, but it does allow them to uh, get through a queue faster. And by not having vehicles out on the street, uh, they're on site, it's increasing safety to the general public and reducing the potential for accidents and collisions with uh, uh, the general public and each other. Uh, we talked about the site remediation strategies a little bit and the ability to uh, build on this on this site on farmland 
has a potential to save anywhere between five and $10 million. And that would be dependent on uh, some of the other strategies and the phasing of the project. And at, with this particular site, uh, as is similar with uh, the West 40, the city owns the property. So there's not the additional cost of having to buy a, a site elsewhere in the city uh, that is large enough to centralize all these divisions. Um, you know, if that could be 1.4 million or more, it's a one-time cost, but um, there is also long-term costs with, you know, taking that piece of property, that large piece of property out of a developable opportunity elsewhere in the city. As Aaron mentioned, the, the farmland site already has the detention uh, basin in place. Uh, so there would be a one-time savings there. Uh, and we also have the ability to recoup some costs by crushing the concrete uh, rubble that is on site uh, to uh, utilize that uh, for paving base uh, or building base somewhere on this site as well. Uh, there's also the existing properties that, you know, it, with this relocation out to farmland uh, or to a centralized uh, facility, uh, that there's a ability for the city to recoup costs by selling some of these properties or allocating them for other uses. And so there's uh, the costs that you see here are um, the assessed valuation and also through an insured valuation for the building replacement. So, you know, again, you know, for resale, but also for the, the cost of replacing the, uh, the facility if there was a, a large flood event at some of these facilities. And then some of the, we did look at, you know, what are some of the efficiencies of renovating or adding on to the existing facilities? Uh, we hit on the floodway, you know, there's, uh, we hit on the site constraints of being in a neighborhood, you know, there are some of those uh, departments, the streets, the stormwater traffic, inspections, central maintenance and solid waste, it's not applicable. They need to be relocated from their current location. Uh, addition and renovation at some of the existing facilities, including the facilities maintenance, um, that is possible. That is possible to add on and renovate. So we're saying that's probably about a three million dollar savings. Is it if that was to stay on site at their current location? Uh, additions and renovations at forestry and horticulture uh, would be possible with some uh, creative site location uh, at the current uh, 11th and Haskell site outside of the floodway. It would still be in the floodplain. Um, but there is some uh, opportunity there. And then of course, maintaining uh, the current household hazardous waste uh, building. It is the newest building uh, that we evaluated in the uh, most recent construction project. So there would be a, uh, a more or less a delayed time uh, frame and probably implementing that phase. So just quick summary, um, we're looking at uh, an annual savings if you add up Everything I just recapped, we're looking at about a $2 million annual savings long-term for a, a long life facility. Uh, and the, the saving potential from that major storm event, getting it out of the floodway uh, is gonna be that 21 to $22 million could be saved in um, the replacement and cleanup. And that does not include, entirely include all the damage to the facilities um, that would be probably uh, measured in some of that environmental cleanup. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks. Dan. Dan McGinn with uh, Dake Wells. Just want to make sure my mute was off. Um, 
a few slides on the potential schedule and costs, and then Andy will close out the presentation here. So on the schedule, we're proposing that in 2021, the design team would first do all the planning and entitlement work. And then once that's all in order, we'd move forward with schematic design. Design and construction documents would then continue in 2022 and 2023 with uh, construction of phase one starting in 2024 and lasting till mid 2025. Construction of phase two could then be start, uh, slated to start at the, uh, at the end of the previous phases end of construction. So uh, mid 2025 and last until the end of 2026. Um, note that in our uh, proposed scope of work, we're actually including schematic design for both the MSO building and the CMG building. So based on this more in-depth design work that we would do and updated cost estimates, we would work with city leadership to finalize if it made more sense for the MSO building or uh, CMG to go first as far as phase one, phase two. As far as cost estimation goes, uh, we're basing our estimates on 2020 cost per square foot numbers. So if phase one was the MSO building, uh, if you look at that yellow bar there, uh, you'll see our estimated range of between 33 and 37 million for that work. And if you factor in an escalation cost of about 3% per year and run that to midpoint of construction, that cost would project out to that red number you see above the yellow bar, uh, 38.2 million estimate. And then for phase two CMG in 2020 dollars, the estimate is 20, um, 22 to 24 million. And then the escalated cost of that, of that work in 2026 dollars would be 25.9 million. Next slide, this slide shows how all six phases of the field operations campus could be constructed. Uh, schedule wise, phase, phases one and two could occur between 2024 and 2026, as mentioned earlier. Phase three solid waste uh, could start construction in 2027 and be complete, completed mid 2028. Um, in $2020, it's estimated at 20 to 24 million. And with escalation, that amount in late 2027 would equate to 26.3 million. It's all clear in my head, all of these 20s. So hopefully uh, if I, maybe I'll talk a little slower and they'll come across to you. Um, phase four, uh, MSO conditioned vehicle storage would start construction in 2028 and be completed by the end of 2029. And again, in today's dollars, it's estimated uh, at 16 to 18 million. And with escalation, that amount in early 2029 would be 20.9 million. So those are the top four priorities of our analysis. Um, the remaining four divisions shown in phases five and six could be constructed between 2030 and 2032, as shown. On to the next slide. Again, uh, so our cost estimates are based on uh, projected square footage dollar amounts, and our proposed scope of work for the MSO building would include the exploration of potential cost reduction ideas, such as reducing square footage uh, slated for growth and reducing all non-critical paving. Um, just those two measures could save 2 million. And as we get into SD, we could really continue to work with staff to look for additional opportunities to save. Next slide. Um, we would do similar value engineering exercises for CMG as part of our proposed scope of work. And by the end of schematic design for those first two phases, we'd also be able to recommend some ways to cut costs on the next phase, um, solid waste. 
And then phase four is the conditioned vehicle storage. And we would do value engineering exercises to reduce the square footage there and work closely with staff to value. Again, on, on all of these, we would work with staff to value um, the, the potential of the pros of saving dollars versus the cons of, of losing some scope and some functionality. So um, although this would keep the fleet uh, out of the weather, this could save over 4 million again um, those value engineering exercises would be part of our schematic design work. So what I was trying to say there is by reducing that by 4 million, um, many of the uh, vehicles would be undercover, but there would be some that are still out in the weather. And I'll turn it over to Andy. Okay, thanks, Dan. Andy Inns, um, Engineering Program Manager, MSO. So the capital improvement plan includes funding for a portion of this project. This slide shows approved CIP funding and estimated project costs for 2021 through 2025. Um, the CIP was revised based on project phasing for design and construction, as, as Dan showed. Um, the total approved costs in the CIP did not change, um, just the timing of that use. A uh, portion of the project costs are unfunded starting in 2024. Uh, approximately 13 million of the phase one construction, if that is the MSO facility, is unfunded and the subsequent phases are either partially or fully unfunded. Um, we will continue to evaluate funding and phasing options for this project, including bonding capacity and the impact on utility rates, um, value engineering of each project phase, as Dan discussed, and coordinating funding with the farmland remediation project, um, seeking grants for redevelopment of the remediation site, um, and deferring project phases until funding is available, if, if that's what we have to do. Um, Keep in mind that what we've developed is a master plan for the field operations campus. And it's similar to water wastewater master plan and that funding for all of the recommended improvements isn't necessarily identified at completion of the master plan. Uh, for example, the 2012 water master plan recommended $220 million in water system improvements. But the projects are scheduled in the CIP each year based on priority and rain impacts. We're expecting a similar approach for implementation of the field operations campus master plan. Next slide, please. So the city and design team developed a list of project imperatives to highlight the most important aspects of the field operations campus master plan. These reiterate the project goals listed earlier in the presentation. Uh, I'm not going to read all of the project imperatives, but I do want to point out that field operations staff are essential workers. Um, we really saw that this year and they must have a, a well-maintained functional and safe workspace. Next slide, please. So last August, we hosted an online public information meeting, and we've received many great questions and comments from the public about the topics listed here, uh, including letters from the neighbors and from the Brook Creek Neighborhood Association with this commission agenda item. Um, these items will be reviewed in detail as planning submittals and schematic design are developed. Um, Several of the planning submittals will require approval by the Planning Commission and City Commission, 
So there will be multiple opportunities for public comment through these meetings, as well as public information meetings that are included in the proposed scope. We'll also continue to update the project website as the project proceeds. Next slide. So the commission action being requested tonight is to consider authorizing the city manager to execute supplement number two to the engineering services agreement with Dake Wells in the amount of $857,189 for the field operations campus project CIP MS-210004. The scope of this agreement includes planning entitlement work which includes rezoning, an institutional development plan, special use permit, minor subdivision, and other planning department submittals required to develop the farmland site. Um, schematic design of the MSO and CMG facilities includes architectural, structural, and MEP drawings, civil site plans, and public improvement plans. Um, Schematic design will not begin until planning and entitlements work is complete and approved. Um, and the scope also includes revised phasing and cost estimates. So with that, I think that's the end of our presentation and we would be happy to answer any questions you have about the project or the presentation. Mayor Finkeldai, thank you for that presentation. Thank you for all that information and, and it was helpful to go back and see some of the the conditions and some of those things you look at but um questions before we open it to public comment questions for staff this is commissioner larson and um i can get started if you want mayor on this some questions um <clears throat> Just as an overview question, is there is there a reason why we're not doing this project as far as the design goes the, as a uh, construction management project versus doing the design now and then I'm assuming we'll bid that out at a later date? Andy Inns, MSO engineer, um, and Dan, you might help me out here a little bit, but I, I think um, typically um, the CM at risk or some other alternative delivery would start after or at the schematic or after the schematic design is um, is prepared. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, Dan McGinn with Take Wells. That's really what we'd recommend that um, kind of interviewing uh, CM at risk with a concept in mind, a schematic design in mind to, to kind of summarize the city's goals and bring that to the um, CM at risk so that they're able to still have a lot of impact um, with regard to um, kind of changing the design and affecting the design, but also it, it, it contains a lot of work to document all those city's goals and that's what we would typically see. Okay, Commissioner Larson, so um, these are more schematics. These aren't actual full-blown design um, packages that you would be putting together, is that correct? Uh, Dan again with Dake Wells. Yeah, this it would uh, include floor plan section, building sections, elevations, and uh, three-dimensional um, imagery of the buildings. But again, on kind of a loose schematic level to give you a sense of what what the architecture was and what the engineering implications were. Um, so there's there's a depth of detail, but there's still a lot of 
long way to go after schematic design, but it's an, it's a nice place to kind of capture a vision, um, allow the design team to address some of the questions brought up by the public um, and explore uh, some of the sustainability initiatives and kind of package all that together and start the process of then integrating with the construction manager at risk. Commissioner Larson, thank you. So when we do finally go into a full-blown design, the costs that we have spent on design at this part, which looks like it's going to be over a million dollars, will that be considered in the um, uh, in our um, policy for the amount of percentage amount of costs that we all allocate to design? Will that be considered? Andy Inns, MSO engineer. Uh, yes, based on the the estimates that the design team put together, um, they considered. And Dan, you might have to talk about the percentage percentages you used and things like that. But based on that construction cost, they uh, back calculated a little bit of okay, this portion it will be or this percentage will be estimated for uh, development design. This percentage will be for schematic design. We've already used uh, a small percentage for the master plan document. And so it was based on our design fee curve though. Okay, it was. Yes. So you feel as though with going this route with um, this part of the design that we'll still be able to meet our policy standards for design costs? Yes, okay. yeah, Andy ends, um, yes. Okay, Commissioner Larson, thank you. I do have some questions about some of the slides if, you've, um, if you don't mind. Um, be going into this with in a little bit of detail. I would like to start with uh, the slide where it says West 40 existing site conditions, West 40 site existing site conditions. Um, Maybe 30, 38. There we go, that one right there, yeah. So how long will we own this property out at the West 40 site? Is it approximately 10, 20 years? MSO engineer. Um, Dave Wagner, I saw you on there. Do you happen to know? I think it's probably when we um, built the Clinton water treatment plant, which was in the late 70s. Okay, so we've, we've owned it for for almost a half a century, it sounds like. So I was really kind of surprised to see on here, item number four, where it says construction debris landfill conditions are un unknown. Um, I was surprised that we would own any property where we think there could be some potential issues that we haven't identified any sort of possible conditions that could impact our ability to build on that or impact um, any other landfill type issues that might show up? Have we never done any sort of exploration of that, those areas? Um, Andy Inns, MSO engineer. Um, I think a lot of that was placed there by us. Um, so the, the Northern number four, I believe was excavation from the uh, lime treatment ponds. And then this, the southern number four is um, de debris, construction debris that the city crews have, have placed there. Okay, so how can the conditions, I'm sorry, Commissioner Larson, um, how can the conditions be unknown if it's material that we've placed there? Indians, MSO engineer, I think just the, um, 
maybe the materials are, are generally known, but the, um, you know, if they're voids or gaps or anything okay. like that, it's, uh, that would be what's unknown. May, okay. Mayor and commissioners, this is Dave Wagner, director for the MSO. Um, Commissioner Larson, um, there is a former, uh, you know, I think we, we used to call them dumps and not uh, landfill sites. Mm -hmm. um, that is a, a known, it's known that it's there. I don't know how much actual work has been done to characterize that site. Um, I think it certainly is known to KDHE and us who have been around for uh, almost a half a century. I haven't been there quite a half a century, but uh, uh, it was an original uh, site with either trash or construction debris. We probably have to do more uh, look back in the in the old and, and get some of the old values in there for those sites of that we're specifically talking about that that it has uh, cover and there is trash debris in there as well. So um, um, we are aware of that. I don't have the characterizations on the tip of my tongue. I'd have to talk to Trevor and find out what the history of some of that portion of that site is. Andy is correct. We've been doing um, lime, lime piling at that area. It's also the operational area where we uh, uh, do construction fill. And in fact, we've been looking at that and are developing alternatives to that because that site's about full. Um, so um, I hope that kind of answers the question, but we'll have to, I think we probably have to get back to you on some of the specifics about what we know more in more detail about mm -hmm. that site. Mr. Larson, thank you, Dave. Yeah, it just seems like it'd be prudent for us to know exactly what's going on there um, from an environmental standpoint, as, as well as the ability to, to possibly build on that in the future. So um, I was just surprised to see unknown there since we've owned it for so long. Um, so that was a question out on that. Um, wanted to go into some of the efficiency items that was brought up. I just needed some clarification to make sure I understood them a little bit better. Um, looking at the spreadsheet here are the um the slideshow um if you go to the one that says efficiency benefit summary which i think all of them say that unfortunately says ded dedicated wash bays and employee turnover and training and then there's one for fueling efficiency my question on these all of these um like this is you said there's actually cost savings on like employee turnover and training and then also on reducing fueling times, a half a million dollars a year savings. So are those actually dollars that would go back into the city's pockets because we wouldn't be paying employees to be um, on the clock, so to speak? Or is this just more of a time savings? More of an, Andrew Cooper is our architect. It's more of an efficiency from a daily workflow. Um, so if you are able to take uh, an eight-hour workday from employee A, uh, who would normally maybe wait uh, for his their their turn at the wash bay for an hour, uh, or their turn at the fueling island for an hour, and you cut that uh, in half, uh, both of those activities in half. Now they're more efficient out in the field doing their work. So maybe uh, the ability to do more work over the course of the year uh, for their focused work activities. Uh, does translate into a savings that would look at maybe um, you know maintenance that is not required to be so emergency in nature because the the work is being is more constant. It's a little more that's a little tougher to really quantify because it's 
there's a lot of what ifs in that. So what we're really looking at here is the the time savings from a, a uneffective hour of work. Um, you know, waiting in the vehicle while it's idling, for instance. Mm -hmm. Okay, Commissioner Larson, I appreciate that clarification because it, it doesn't seem to me like um, they're going to be working eight-hour day regardless of whether they're, they're sitting there waiting to fuel up or whether they're out in the field actually con conducting work. So there's not actually a dollar amount that goes back into the funds, the coffers, so to speak, but they're being more efficient in the work, they do, in the work that they do. Is that my understanding? Andrew Cooper, Authority Architects. Yes, that's uh, that's probably truer on the vehicle uh, fueling portion. On the dead, on the wash bay portion, what we're really looking at in these costs is the ability to pinpoint um, uh, defects in the equipment and service them in an appropriate time. So now you're taking the life of a large tandem axle that might cost two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. And you're deferring that one more year, so that kind of yeah. is a cost that you're being able to roll back in. Uh, you'll eventually have to replace that truck, but maybe it's on a 12-year cycle versus a 15-year or a 10-year cycle. You know, um, uh, we had those discussions with uh, CMG staff. Um, in in terms of the employee turnover and training and the fueling, it's it's more of that uh, effective work hour savings. Uh, that we're that we're really talking about, Commissioner Larson. Thank you. I appreciate that clarification. Um, so, go to just a little bit to the resale of the existing properties. The numbers that you guys have provided. Do you think those are realistic numbers that we could actually sell these properties for? Andrew Cooper, Authority Architects. Because that was my slide, I will start the answer. Um, so these, the, the values we got were from the county assessed value. Uh, these are not um, real estate numbers. So there might be some sites that are more valuable depending on where they're located, their size, geometry, whatever. Um, there might be some sites that have less value because of where they're located. That's, that's, not, um, that's not something we evaluated at, at this time. We're just using the resources through the county and through the uh, insurance valuations that uh, we received from from Andy and city staff, uh, Andy, I don't know if you want to elaborate any more any more on that at all. Andy and MSO engineer, um, no, you you pretty much covered it. Um, we did not talk to a commercial realtor or anything like that um, at this stage of the project. Commissioner Larson, thank you. Yeah, I guess I just found it hard to believe that we could sell some of these properties, considering the. Some of the reasons we want to leave these properties is because of potential flooding and there's some environmental issues. Um, I can't imagine somebody stepping in and saying, oh, but we'll we'll buy this property from you, even though you don't think it's you're concerned about, you know, your ability to stay here. Um, so I, I just think these numbers seem pretty high for that. Um, there is one building, the traffic division building, which is over in the Pinckney neighborhood, which I always thought would be a potential for a repurposing into some affordable housing units, possibly at some time, because that's a great neighborhood in that area. Um, but I always thought that building would be good for that. So, um, so that's what I had on that. And one more thing, um, you talked about efficiency summaries under major storm events that we could potentially realize $20 million worth of damage to our, our vehicles. And again, is that realistic that we would let vehicles sit there if we knew a flood was coming to the tune of $20 million? 
I mean, have we ever had that catastrophic event to our vehicles? Andy Inns, MSO engineer. Um, we have not that, I, that I'm aware of. I know in the last presentation, Dan referenced, um, I believe it was Leewood or Lenexa, and they did have, um, you know, an event where they lost a lot of vehicles. And um, Dan, do you rec recall the exact details of that? Dan, begin with Dick Wells. It was Leewood, and they lost all of their vehicles. Um, and uh, let's see, in 2017, um, and then they actually had to abandon that uh, the, their facility and split into three sub departments and kind of just glom on to three different other facilities. So it really disrupted um, them. That was their Parks and Rec department. Wow. Mr. Larson, okay, so on the environmental, on the fuel cleanup, possible for fuel cleanup, Nate, Nate I, I'm, I'm assuming we all realize that regardless of what happens to that property, we're going to be responsible for that cleanup into um, basically forever. Um, we won't ever be able to get out of that fuel cleanup. On the good side of that is that there's funding at the state level that helps, helps pay for that. So I'm not sure if that's really an efficiency issue because either way, we're going to be responsible for it in the future. Andy Inns, MSO engineer. I, I think that was related to um, if it's an unexpected cleanup, um, you know, of, of the air site and downstream related to a flood event. Um, if, yeah, if the site is abandoned and we do have to um, remove the tanks and in the fuel island and things like that, um, that's, that'll be kind of a, maybe a different expense. I think this is more of the catastrophic expense related to a flood. Commissioner Larson, even if there's a catastrophic event related to fuel tank um, leakage, the fund that the state has set up for that would pay for cleanup of that type of catastrophic situation. Okay, thank you. But Commissioner Larson, that's all I have. I, I appreciate your presentation. You know, I, I, I do believe that this is a, a facility that's um, that we need. It's a matter of how we implement it that's gonna be really important going into the future. Mayor Fingal, are other questions before we open it to public comment? Um, Tara, can you go ahead and drop the, the slides at the moment? And then I guess I had one question. I was curious about the timing, and it was kind of mentioned at the end about the, the central maintenance garage and solid waste being phase two versus phase one. And, and is that still an open question or if, if we settled on that it just seems like the, the maintenance garage has the uh well it had all four red bars on it it's in pretty bad shape i just wondered about the the timing of that or the phasing of that dan again andy do you want to handle that or do you want me to i i can just chime in that we've gone the design team in the city has kind of gone back and forth a little bit about what was most appropriate to go first so even though cmg um, does have all four bars as as red um, there were some within the city staff that felt it made uh, sense to get the mso six divisions out there functioning and operating but that's one reason we wanted to do both schematic design uh, for both uh, facilities to buy us a little time to also continue that conversation and really make a determination on what made most sense to go first. 
Andy Inns, MSO engineer. I guess I would just add that, um, you know, if if CMG is is going out there first as phase one, um, chances are that solid waste would not be phase two. And so the the adjacencies, the benefits of having those two phases adjacent to each other, um, you wouldn't see that quite as much. Um, also with MSO, some of those facilities being in the floodway, um, that could be even more uh, of a reason to put them as phase one. But like Dan said, that will be evaluated in this schematic design. Mayor Fickler, thank you. I'm obviously not planning to solve that problem tonight, but <laughs> um, other questions before I open it to public comment? If not, we'll go ahead and open it to public comment. If you'd like to uh, make a comment on this item, please raise your hand raising, using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. Michael Ullman. Hello, good evening. Michael Ullman, um, representing the Brook Creek Neighborhood Association. Um, I guess initially I just wanna say, we request that you do not execute supplement number two engineering services tonight. Um, certainly not until there are revisions made for not only the design, um, but also for the assumptions and the uh, the the scope of of this project and and potential location. I I would like to you consider like you to consider um, what we wrote in our letter. First of all, this is immediately adjacent to the Brook Creek neighborhood, right across the property line from residences. And as recent as 2016, the Farmland Industries Development Plan designated this site as park and open space. And industry was south of there. So all the homeowners in that area of Brook Creek neighborhood bought their homes under the assumption that this would not be industrialized right across the fence line. I find that pretty disturbing. Uh, they don't know what their property values are gonna be now. Um, some of the design considerations, if that is the case, well, first of all, we feel that the site should be located at the Wakarusa uh, site, at least some of the operations, the major operations, the heavy operations. Um, and you certainly could put some at farmland or some other locations in town, but we would like to see you focus on Wakarusa. Um, in the area of farmland, if nothing else, the uh, MSO building, maintenance garage, and the fuel station should be moved about 225, 250 feet farther east away from the fence line to create more of a buffer and have more trees trees uh, planted in that area. Um, you'd have to sacrifice trees to the north, but heck, those are buffering what? A railroad track and a bag building. Um, or you could uh, extend a bit the site to the south into a part of, um, uh, which is at the, well, it's a venture, oh, block C lot one of venture. Um, but other than those kind of considerations, honestly, I am astonished at the short-sightedness 
of the scope and the, and the design of this. If the consultant and the staff seem completely oblivious to the fact that the world is electrifying all vehicles. And this applies to trash trucks, to buses, to uh, heavy equipment, um, to uh, you know, major, major port facility vehicles that are moving Mike. heavy tonnage. Uh, Michael, can you go ahead and finish up? Okay, well, in that context, we have to keep in mind that the city is committed by 2035 to have no more fossil fuel vehicles. So that means if it's a 12 to 15 year replacement cycle, we should be starting to replace some of our trash trucks and whatever now. Um, by the time this facility is built, we should be have no more fossil fuel vehicles and the electrified fueling stations should not be centralized. It's very inefficient. They should be scattered all over the town. They should be near where the trash trucks are going to the landfill, for example. Uh, there's so much about this plan that is not well thought through. So um, I can add more later or I can bargain for more time now. Nobody else is on the, on the call. <laughs> But, um, and you also had a good letter, Michael. You had a good letter. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you looking at us. And, and we, we do want to see this change happen. We just don't want our neighborhood to jump from the frying pan into the fire. You know, loot, loot, uh, get rid of one bad site and end up with another bad site. So Thank thanks you, once again. Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk. Is there any other public comment on this item? Uh, that's it, Mayor. Mayor Finkel, I bring it back to the Commission and for questions, comments, discussions. Commissioner Lawson looks like she. Yeah, uh, just something Michael brought up that, you know. Um, what about his thoughts regarding the fact that we've got our, our goals for 2035? How does this meet up with that plan or that goal, that the goals that we've set? Excuse me. MSO engineer, um, as I mentioned, we, we did have the sustainability workshop where we looked at the um, Oh, Terry, you may have to help me on the, the acronyms here. The AIA um, Code Top 10, um, where we looked at, oh, I'll let you speak, Tara. Oh, you got it. Um, this is Tara Bray, Dick Wells Architecture. Um, there, are top, there are 10 uh, standards that are set in place by the AIA's Committee on the Environment. Um, and we analyzed each of those in respect to this master plan and how um, and how those how it will play out and be faced. This is Andy Ins. Um, Andrew, would you mind speaking about the electric vehicles? Yes, Andrew Cooper, Thorchell Architects. Um, the American Public Works Association is doing a lot of work and a lot of research on uh, electric uh, high high power takeoff vehicles and how they can be implemented into public works operations. It isn't there yet. They're just starting to be rolled out for long haul uh, purposes. Um, so there, and we've had this discussion with CMG staff about 
uh, what is a realistic implementation of electrical vehicles uh, for public works. Um, it's extremely realistic to, to think that electrical vehicles for um, certain fleet operations uh, like uh, sedans, uh, police cruisers is possible. Um, in public works vehicles, uh, the current design trend for those vehicles is to get more efficient in uh, in fossil fuels uh, vehicles currently. Uh, they're in actual and also specializing vehicles so that you have one piece of equipment doing two or three jobs that then reduces the number amount of vehicles that you may have to purchase, uh, but increasing the amount of service. So there's a lot of research done at at the professional level um, in the uh, agency level, um, but right now the electrical vehicles are not as as we're speaking. There there several still several years out until there's a possibility of them being implemented uh, wide range. Uh, we did talk about the possibility of electrical fueling uh, or charging uh, on site. Um, again, that is more of a schematic and design development uh, type of implementation, uh, not necessarily at the master plan. We discussed it. Um, it's on the on the menu of things to be discussed further into the design process. Um, but there's yeah, there's still um, there's still a lot to be determined industry wide, not just Lawrence wide in this respect. Anything like other questions, comments? Everything that I would, I guess I would jump in there and, and say, um, you know, I certainly appreciate where we've come and where we've, we've talked about this master plan before. Um, you know, I don't think there can be any debate that our facilities are lacking at the moment, um, both in, in functionality, but also in providing for our employees and, and certainly for providing for the future. Um, so that that is easy for me. You know, I think the question then becomes, of course, this master plan, the way we've worked through it. And I appreciate the, the information we gathered tonight and, and the options before us. I certainly understand Michael's point in the Brook Creek neighborhoods questions about um, design and, you know, trees and buffering, and those sorts of things. I, I We certainly will address the planning commission will address. We will address it. We'll have site plans. Um, we'll have um, you know process to go through, and we certainly hope and know that you know Andy and his team will continue to work with the neighbors as we go through the entitlement process. And then eventually, it'll be up to us to make sure those um, you know proper proper measures are in place. And so, look forward to that discussion. But I think we have to move forward with the design to get to that stage. And again, I think it's important that we are approving the entire thing tonight, but it's really in two parts, right? Part one is some design work to get through entitlements. If that does not proceed, then the rest of it won't go on. So we have to hit that, that process first. So to Michael's point and the Brook Creek Neighborhood's point, um, we'll get a portion of this going, but then we'll have to hear and make sure that design is right before we spend the rest of the money 
to finish out the design. And I guess I'm saying that, but maybe I'll look at Andy and make sure I'm correct on that. Is that that's how I understand it, correct? The way the phasing of this, um, this what do we call it, uh, Amendment Two works. Andy is MSO engineer. That is correct. That the um, schematic design will not move forward until the planning and entitlements work is complete, which involves the the meetings at the planning commission and, and the city commission to get yeah, to go through all all of those documents that I had mentioned before: institutional okay. development plan, rezoning, things like that. Mayor Finkel, that was, that was my understanding, but I'm, as I kept talking, I wanted to check myself to make sure I was correct there. But um, yeah, so I think that's a good process. Um, we get through that process. And if during the midst of that, we we ask for it to be moved, we think there needs to be more buffering or whatever, um, the neighborhood will have that chance to make that not only to us, but to the Planning Commission. And then assuming it passes, we can move forward. So um, I appreciate the, the work on this. and. Again, I think Commissioner Lawson said this earlier, um, the actual implementation down the road will be the tough part and figuring out how to pay for it every um, along the way and, and, and making sure it goes well is going to be important. But um, having this plan in place gives us, that, gives us that opportunity. I think we need to move forward with it. Other comments? Commissioner Arsenia, I would agree we do need to go forward with this plan. We've needed this for a long time. Um, and the, you know, I'm concerned about the design costs and if it's going to fall within our policies that has a tendency to get lost in the big picture sometimes, I think, and that concerns me. Um, I think some of the efficiencies that we're, we're lined out tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm not real, um, I, I guess I, I just don't b believe some of the efficiencies they're talking about, the way they laid them out seems a little bit suspicious, but um, all in all, in the big picture of things, it's gonna, it is going to be more efficient for us to all be in one place with all of our facilities and to have them upgraded, to have better work facilities for our employees. That's huge because I know that they've got difficult working conditions in some of those buildings that definitely needs to be straightened out. And from the neighborhood standpoint, I really appreciate the Brook Creek neighborhood um, continuing to voice their concerns. They brought up very good points that we need to keep in mind as we fall, um, flow through this whole process. And I encourage them to con continue to stay in the discussion um, so we can make sure we stay on a, on a path that is gonna be beneficial to, to the best of we can be for, for all parties. This is Commissioner Ananda. One of the first things that I did when I was elected to the commission was to tour all of the departments. And, you know, I don't think that we we need um, more of a strong argument than some of those pictures of the need that we have. And certainly the locations of these of these existing buildings are not ideal. And I think that sometimes we tend to try to oversell when um, we, we want to make a point. Um, but regardless, there are also... Um, non-monetary efficiencies gained as well from having that communication occurring in one space, being able to, if we use environmental design, to um, apply that across the board within those spaces to um, consolidate the projects that we're doing. And I, I think that those kind of intangible benefits are important as well. Um, and, and the very tangible impact that we have on neighborhoods um, that we are currently having and um, need to continue to discuss as we move through the process with 
particularly Brook Creek as we move forward on this, but we do need to move forward on this. Ms. Commissioner Bullitt, I appreciate the comments of my fellow commissioners don't have a lot to add, but I would like to say I'm especially concerned about the CMG, um, you know, that and, and the fuel tanks. Uh, those are significant problems and we need to make some progress. I think like more comments or motions. Confirming we're supposed to have a motion this time. We are, so this is good. Yeah, this is uh, Commissioner Larson. I'll make a motion to authorize the city manager to execute supplemental agreement number one to the engineering services agreement with with professional engineering consultants in the amount of that's not the right one, is it? I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one. I think. Here it is. Sorry about that. Here it is. Sorry. I'll start over again. This is Commissioner Larson. I authorize the city manager to execute supplemental supplement number two to the engineering services agreement with Dake Wells Architecture Incorporated in the amount of $857,189 for the field operations campus project. Commissioner Ananda, second. Mayor there's a motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Ananda. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Fingledi, aye, passes five to zero. Thank you everyone for being here tonight and in the, the thorough presentation and we'll see you again soon, I'm sure. So thank you all. Thank you. Um, do folks want to take a 10 minute break before we do item four? Or do item four and then take a break. Commissioner Ananda, what kind of presentation length do we think we have on this one? Leah Morris, treatment division manager. Um, it should be about 10 minutes. Okay. You want to try number four then? Let's do it. Okay. We all moving to item number four then? which is to consider rec um, recommending the city manager utilize the construction manager at risk for the Kansas River Wastewater Treatment Plant. And obviously I think Leah gets to give this presentation, right? Leah Morris, Treatment Division Manager. Yes, uh, Mayor, Mayor Finkel-Dye, thank you for that. Um, Porter, I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. Sure. Okay, good evening, commissioners, thank you. Um, for your attention this evening. I know it's late and I will try and stick to that 10 minute time frame that I promised. Um, I'm Leah Morris, the treatment division manager for the MSO department. I'm also serving as the project manager for the Kansas River Wastewater Plant Improvements and Nutrient re Removal Project. Um, John Keller from Black and Beach is also here tonight representing our consultant. And John has been working with the city of Lawrence on our wastewater side for about 25 years now. Um, a little bit of background. The Kansas River Wastewater Treatment Plant currently treats about eight to eight and a half million gallons a day of wastewater. Um, we are designed up to, to treat up to 12 and a half million and we see flows 
um, up to 65 million for treatment capacity with wet weather. Uh, we, we treat 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And back in 2019, we were permitted um, by the state as part of our annual or our revolving five-year permit um, to implement new phosphorus and nitrogen removal permits, um, regulatory permits in July of 2024. So back in 2020, in July, we contracted with Black & Veatch for a nutrient removal pilot study. Um, and this was to look at the options that we needed in order to meet the regulatory permit um, requirements for the nitrogen and the phosphorus removal. Um, and then as well as part of that project, we did a condition assessment with Black & Veatch looking at the overall infrastructure of the wastewater treatment plant because the last large expansion of this plant was in early 2000, again, putting that um, asset management part of our inf aging infrastructure really as a focus to understand how to walk forward with this project holistically and make sure we're doing all the necessary improvements in order to support the, support the new treatment guidelines. So when we started talking about this project um, staff, we really looked at it as an opportunity to utilize an alternate delivery project. So if you kind of look between the traditional design bid build method, as well as the uh, construction manager at risk, there's some key differences um, for this project that makes this a good candidate for the construction manager at risk um, alternate delivery process. Um, one of the things is that we're really looking for um, a qualified construction manager to bring their level of expertise to the project with its specific requirements and risk. Um, John will talk about some of the specific risks at the Kansas River plant, but one of the main things that we want to keep in mind is that the city has to continue to treat um, all of the wastewater, you know, the, the eight and a half to eight million gallons and then some when we get those rain events um, during construction. So flow management is actually um, a really big concern of this and keeping the plant online is, and happy. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were entering this project as a collaborative effort with the construction manager, the designer, and then us as the owner of the city to make sure that we're making the best decisions possible um, for the for the value of the project as well as the associated risks. Um, I'm gonna turn it over to John now to talk about the specifics of the Kansas River plant. Thanks, Leah. Uh, John Keller, Black and Meach, Senior Project Manager. You just heard Leah talk about the two parts of the project, the nutrient pilot study along with the condition assessment. To meet the, uh, the future regulations at the Kansas River, uh, the plant needs to be modified. So the existing uh, basins will need to be modified and uh, new facilities will need to be added. But to, to do this, uh, we're gonna have to uh, go into the existing facility, drain tanks, move the contents to another tank and uh, rehab them and then bring them back online. And really the best way to do this is develop a good sequencing of operations and really having a construction manager on site uh, at the table when we develop our plans, listening to the needs from the city is the best way to really to develop the sequence of operation. Also, when we talk about the critical infrastructure at the plant, uh, when we're doing our condition assessment, we found that there's some critical components that need to be addressed. And this really looks around the electrical, the solids and the site. And uh, some of these are single points of failures. Again, 
having the CM on the team, we can really address these areas that, that need to be these critical points of areas that we can uh, solve the problem as we go through construction. And as Leah just mentioned, this is an operating plan. Uh, we do need to maintain operations, make sure we meet the MPDS permit um, set by EPA and KDHE. This facility has about eight and a half MGDs and can get up to uh, six times that flood during a wet weather event. So we need to maintain operation. Next slide. Um, and really when you talk about the benefits of CMAR, and I think the biggest thing that I think about is the collaboration. And that's really the collaboration between the owner, the city, uh, the engineer, Black and Beach, and then the CM. And really what comes out of the collaboration is really cost-effective strategy and really de developing the maintaining of plant operations or they say it's MOFOs. And I've shown here in a picture is you have three existing blowers on site that provide the critical air to the, the basins. The goal is to replace these uh, old style blowers with new improved defensive blowers, but these provide critical air to the plant. Uh, we need to provide uh, a sequence of operations to replace these blowers. Uh, we're, we're actually providing seven new blowers to this room and just developing the strategies of how we're gonna maintain blowers, provide air to the facilities, and just that whole choreographed measure. And that really sets the whole schedule to the project. Uh, second is potential scope changes. We really reduce the risk through constructability reviews. We're getting another set of eyes on the project. Um, we're also setting a guaranteed maximum price. So we're not gonna see increase in prices throughout the project. And, um, you know, it really should reduce the risk on the project. And then the final benefit I think is encourages innovation. A lot of times the CMAR will come to the project and offer changes in materials, which will be a savings to the city, but also just a change of construction techniques. Um, a lot of times we'll, you know, design something as a cast in place, and they may come in with a pre-cast, with different ways, means and methods, which would shorten the duration, like shorten the duration of a project that would uh, save, uh, be a cost savings to the project, cost savings to the city. So there's three just benefits to the CMAR process. So I'm going to let Leah finish up with the presentation. This brings us to the conclusion where we're seeking um, commission approval to uh, allow the city manager to approve CMAR as the alternate delivery project for the Kansas River Wastewater Treatment Plant project. Um, this type of alternate delivery, it will enable the project team to mitigate the risks that we've discussed, um, maintain treatment process, which is a very high priority, and then look for uh, ways in order to still get the best value for, for the project and um, understand the means, methods, and equipment selection that we will be going through for the project. Are there any questions or comments? Mayor Finkeldai, good job, Leo. You kept it under 10 minutes. Excellent. Um, questions for Leo, John? Let's go ahead and open it up to public comment, then we can bring it back for any questions that people come up with or comments. This is a public hearing item. If any member of the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature, and Sherry will call upon you. 
Jerry Riedemann, City Clerk. There's no comment on this item, Mayor. Mayor Finkel, I thank you. We'll bring it back for comments or questions. I guess I could start. I mean, for myself, I can't think of a project that is more beneficial for a construction manager at risk than this project. I mean, the fact that we are going to have an operating plant at the same time we're making these uh, changes, um, you know, reduction of risk and, and having everyone on board and through the whole process is is vitally important. So I, I mean, I think this is the exact sort of situation where you want to have someone on board from the get-go and not go with the lowest bidder after the fact. Commissioner Nanda Mayor, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's what this process was designed for. And I think that it's absolutely appropriate to use it in this instance. Commissioner Arsh and I would agree on all those points that this is the perfect project for something like this. And this is um, a good reason as to why we put this this possibility in place a few years ago the ability to do a construction manager at risk type project mayor finkel i guess i'd look for a motion then commissioner nanda i move that we authorize the city manager to utilize the construction manager at risk delivery method for the kansas river wastewater treatment plant improvements finding it is in the public interest pursuant to the charter ordinance number 45 and authorize staff to advertise a request for proposal for construction management services commissioner arson second mayor finkel died there's a motion by commissioner nanda a second by commissioner lawson commissioner nanda aye commissioner lawson aye vice mayor shipley Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. Aye. Passes five to zero. Leah, John, thank you very much for the presentation and thanks for being here. Thank you. Take a five minute break or 10 minute break? Mayor, this is Commissioner Nada. I have to move location so that the grown ups in my house can go to bed who aren't me. Um, so if we could take 10, and I'm really sorry for that, that would be greatly appreciated. Mayor Finkel, that's as good as the reason I've, as I've ever heard. Um, so 10 minute break, be back at 945.
May I finger lie? I'm back from a 10 minute break. I will go ahead and take um, roll. Vice Mayor Shipley? Here. Commissioner Ananda? Here. Commissioner Lawson? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. And I am present as well. We're ready to move on to item number five, which is to consider approving the second quarterly budget adjustment. It's like Danielle, we'll get to start. Yes, good evening. Uh, my name is Danielle Bushcutter, uh, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen quickly as we go through the second quarter budget adjustment um, for you all this evening. So with that, um, I am essentially going to do something very similar to uh, the first quarter budget adjustment and just really walk through um, the memo and the different um, components that are being uh, presented to you uh, this evening um, for your consideration. So um, as we've noted multiple times, uh, the 2021 budget was really identified as a placeholder budget uh, given the uncertainties of the pandemic um, and to also acknowledge uh, the adoption of our strategic plan. Um, so I think it's important to note that uh, these have been quite large um, so far in 2021. Um, and this is more significant than we really anticipate these being in future years. Um, so I think it's important to kind of recognize that and, and acknowledge it. Um, also, just want to kind of highlight the intent of this um, process is really to make sure um, that you all in the public are informed um, uh, related to um, changes that are made related to the budget throughout the year um, and really allows us to remain flexible um, as um, opportunities and things like that come up throughout the year. Um, also related to this um, process, uh, if needed, a formal amendment uh, may be brought forward to you all for consideration towards the end of the year. Um, for this to occur, we need a public hearing, um, which requires notice um, and all of those uh, elements. So uh, we will continue uh, to monitor that as staff. Um, and if we need to, in that fourth quarter budget adjustment, it may be a formal amendment, um, whereas this more is... Um, a culmination um, of quite a few actions that you all have taken uh, since January when we did our first uh, budget adjustment. Um, there are a couple new items which I'll, I'll try to spend more time on. I know it's uh, getting late here this evening um, and you all have seen most of these items already. So with that, we will start with the general fund. Um, so first is uh, the funding uh, that has been approved by you all um, already uh, back in January and February of this year related to the emergency uh, winter shelter program. Um, so this is capturing those actions that have been taken. Um, also in uh, March of this year, uh, there was $40,000 uh, authorized for the Children's Advocacy Center um, as um, you all were considering um, general fund outside agency requests for uh, this current year. Um, so we have also captured that. Um, additionally, in the general fund, uh, we have the additional um, staffing that was approved um, on March 2nd. So this includes both uh, the four FTEs in planning and development services, as well as the 9.5 FTEs um, in the administrative services fund uh, to support the various commitments. Um, so you can see the dollar amounts tied to each of those. I will note we will see um, those nine FTEs because that was an, a, a, a change to the administrative services fund. Um, we're seeing that impact then reflected in all of the operating funds. So we'll see that language here um, 
again and again. Um, so I won't go into to too much detail as we get into some of the other funds, but just wanted to kind of note that as we go through the presentation. One of the items that uh, you all have not seen yet, uh, but we wanted to make you all aware of is $93,000 for um, upkeep of our uh, law enforcement center for the remainder of 2021. Uh, this was an item that um, with the new facility, police facility coming online, we weren't quite sure what um, the future of this facility um, is going to be. We still don't really know what the future of that facility is going to be. Uh, but when we put the budget together, we um, only budgeted for the first quarter um, of upkeep of that facility. And we need to extend that um, for the duration of um, the year. Obviously, if um, we need to, if we don't spend that full um, funding, that that is great, but it is uh, one of the needs that um, was identified. Um, hey, and people, uh, Danielle, just to be sure, are we talking about 15th and Wakarusa there, or the the one 15th and Wakarusa, correct? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Yes, I think it is that facility, and we do still have staff in that facility. Yeah. Um, we were not able to transition everyone over to the new facility. Yep. Um, all right, so in February, the city was notified uh, that we would be receiving an additional allocation of about $218,000 of gasoline tax funds um, from uh, the Kansas Department of Transportation for this year. Um, we are recommending uh, that those be used to increase funding for our street maintenance program, which, as you know, um, has had a largely unfunded component uh, to that program for a number of years. Um, so this is a net neutral item, but we wanted to um, notify you of all of that uh, because it will increase both the revenues and expenditures. Um, moving on um, to the action uh, you all took um, last week with the approval of six FTEs uh, related to um, assisting with project management for the five-year capital improvement plan and maintenance plan. Um, again, this will be net neutral. Uh, we'll have revenues to offset those expenditures, uh, but because we're increasing both revenues and expenditures, we wanted to identify it here. Um, so the total impact of that is about $1.7 million. Like I mentioned, there's some offsetting revenue for some of that. Some of it will come from fund balance and we will continue to look for savings in our various line items throughout the year as well to help offset those costs. Um, I will note that all of the um, staffing um, items are considered ongoing costs. And so those will be incorporated into the 2022 budget as we start to jump into some of those um, conversations. So the other items are uh, more one-time in nature. Some of them, um, if we need to um, add those dollars to the 2022 budget, you'll, you will see that in um, our recommendation to you all uh, as we move through that process. All right, moving over uh, to the airport fund. Um, we noted this in the last quarterly budget adjustment, um, but we didn't identify the, the dollars associated with it. So just to clean that up, um, as I think you all are aware, the city received um, $69,000 in CARES Act funding uh, that we anticipate to uh, use to um, automate two of the manual gates out at the airport. Um, and then we actually received a second uh, round of CARES funding as well for $23,000. So this is anticipated to be used for some additional maintenance needs out at the airport. Um, both of these are considered one time. And again, um, 
net neutral, uh, we have the revenues to offset those expenditures. Um, all right, moving to the uh, guest tax fund, um, you can see the impact of the administrative services, um, FTEs uh, in the amount of $7,000 for that particular fund. The transportation fund, um, there are two items here. The first one um, is more of a cleanup item related to um, bus passes that we provide to the Lawrence Community Shelter. Um, so in order to properly account for these in alignment with our generally accepted accounting principles, uh, we actually need to identify that, excuse me, as an expense in the budget. Um, and that was not identified in 2021. So we need to get that cleaned up. That's one of those items you can expect to see in the 2022 budget as well. Um, and then again, here we have the additional staffing uh, that is impacting this fund um, by $24,000. So those two items combined um, get to the, the $40,000 impact and both are considered ongoing. Uh, the gas tax fund, so this is a duplication. We already kind of saw this in the general fund, but as a reminder, um, starting with the fiscal year 2021 budget, uh, we moved all the proceeds from the gas tax fund. It is a transfer from that fund into the general fund where it is then allocated. Um, so I uh, wanted to acknowledge that you'll see that increase in both the gas gasoline tax fund as well as the general fund where it'll actually be expensed for um, that street um, uh, project. All right, moving on um, to the water and wastewater fund. Uh, this again was impacted by those additional um, administrative services um, increases to, FT, into, to the FTE count um, and uh, the additional action on April 13th related to those um, additional support for project management for the CAP and maintenance plan. Um, again, that one's net neutral, uh, but the total increase um, on the expenditure side will be just under $400,000 uh, to account for both of those. The, um, both the solid waste fund um, and the parking fund, uh, again, uh, what you're seeing here are those uh, additional staffing um, costs. So $120,000 for solid waste, 12,000 for parking, um, and 18,000 for, for stormwater. Um, there is one other stormwater um, item, um, and this is related to moving um, $400,000 from our stormwater system identification assessment and model creation project to our stormwater um, replacement rehabilitation lining and in-house construction project. Uh, both of those are really long names, um, but our stormwater replacement uh, project um, is debt financed. And there are some um, improvements that need to be made that align with the intent of that program, but cannot be debt financed. Um, so we're moving um, funding from our cash funded stormwater system identification uh, project into this replacement project to cash fund some minor pump station improvements, some really minor um, lining work and, and repairs that are identified while construction is underway with some other projects um, so that we can use cash um, to fund those instead of debt. Uh, this is Commissioner Larson. Daniel, what does that do to the stormwater system identification project? Does that put that behind more or how are we funding that $400,000? Was that need, not decided to not need it or, or what? 
Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, that project, and Melinda, please jump in if you're still on the call, um, or Dave, but my understanding is that project is still relatively early on in the process. Um, and so um, with some of these capital projects, A, um, you'll probably see in the 2022 um, maintenance plan and capital improvement plan that will have a little bit more uh, cash funding for that um, stormwater replacement program and it won't all be debt, debt funded. Um, but I think for the time being, there's some opportunity to um, use those dollars and not have that project be slowed down. But Melinda, please feel free to jump in. I know you have a little bit more detail on this than I do. Linda Harger, Assistant Director of MSO. Could you please restate the question? I apologize. Yeah, Commissioner Larson, I just was curious if we're moving 400,000 of cash and over to the um, replacement and rehabilitation project. Uh, since we're losing that $400,000 of cash from the stormwater identification assessment model, what does that do to that project? Does it put it behind? Does it slow it down? Does it stop it? What does it do? Melinda Harger, Assistant Director of MSO. In talking with the project manager, um, things are getting started now for that project and their estimates for the work that would be encumbered this year is actually under the 2 million. So by taking 400,000, we still have 2 million in the budget for that assessment program this year. And that will be enough for the work that will be encumbered or spent this year. And so the thought is the additional funds will be needed most likely in 2022 20, uh, or 2023. And so that's what will be reflected in, um, in the capital plan we're bringing forward to you later on. Okay, Commissioner Larson, thank you. Oh, um, while I had an opportunity, Melinda Harger, Assistant Director of MSO, I wanted to clarify the Law Enforcement Center is not the facility on Bob Billings. That is the Investigations and Training Center. So the LEC is the one that's shared with the county. I just wanted to jump in and, and share that. Thank you. Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Thank you, Melinda. I was going to try to pull that up. Um, as questions were coming. So thank you for beating me to that. I, I appreciate it. Um, okay, a couple more funds, um, and then we'll we'll open it up for some additional questions um, that, that you all may have. So uh, the Administrative Services Fund, obviously, uh, those additional uh, 9.5 FTEs um, for the, the total impact of 1.1, $1.2 million. Um, this is a little bit lower than what we presented in March. We tried to kind of back into and identify when um, those staff members were anticipated to start this year. Um, so that is a little bit um, lower than, than what we presented um, initially uh, back in March. Um, the other, a couple other items here. Um, the first one is related to our sustainability office. Um, so they help support um, an incubator farm program. Uh, and we were uh, just awarded or were notified of an award for um, $5,000 to really help kind of um, improve that programming for this current year. Uh, there is a match requirement of $7,000 um, that's in the general fund. And because uh, sustainability is part of the city manager's office, uh, we thought it would be cleaner to transfer that $7,000 from the general fund into the administrative services fund um, and then capture the grant in there as well. Um, so that's more of a, a cleanup item. Um, so it is net neutral, um, but is something that we wanted to uh, identify as part of this process. Um, the other item 
A couple other items here. The first one is uh, the community satisfaction survey. So um, initially this was not identified to be funded um, for 2021, uh, but given how many of our uh, performance indicators related to our strategic plan um, are tied to that data source, um, we wanted to uh, go ahead and request that funding be added for that. Um, it is a little bit higher than what we have um, had in prior years, uh, but we want to be able to have some ability to do some oversampling um, as we roll that survey out for 2021 so we can get some of those variance numbers uh, that we have identified in the strategic plan as key performance indicators. Um, so there is a, an additional cost related to that, but we think that $50,000 will get us um, the, the survey results that um, we're looking for and that ability to do that oversampling. Um, and then the final item um, under this fund is a payroll adjustment related to the reversal of 2020 furloughs, um, totaling $45,000. So all of those items um, in total are just shy of $1.3 million. Moving uh, to the utilities bonded construction fund, um, this is another um, project adjustment um, item for you all. Um, the, the item here is to move um, $1.3 million from uh, pump station 16 uh, interceptor rehab uh, to the water main replacement program uh, to provide an emergency repair on the Vermont Street uh, bridge water main. Um, this was initially anticipated to be included in the 2022 through 2026 maintenance plan. Um, however, that main did fail earlier this year. Um, and so um, some action is, is uh, going to be required related to that repair. Um, it should be noted that the pump station 16 project, uh, you will see in the 2022 through 2026 uh, capital improvement plan for reconsideration. Uh, this will also allow us um, to uh, complete this in conjunction with the Southwest Lawrence Conveyance Corridor Improvement uh, Project and allow those conversations to continue um, so that we can do those two projects together. Mr. Arshan, I have a real quick question for you now. On the Vermont Street um, Bridge Water Main Repair, uh, is is that operational at this time um, being serviced to North Lawrence? Is there any problems with um, um, the possibility of, of failure to get water to North Lawrence? Uh, this is Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, I don't know that I can answer that question. I do think uh, on the manager's report, there is an update. Dave, I don't know if you can provide some additional context. Yeah, uh, Dave Wagner, Director for the Municipal Services and Operations. The, the existing line on the bridge is not in service, nor will it be in any time soon. It, it experienced a pretty significant failure during the cold weather. Uh, with probably some movement. Um, subsequent, um, prior to that, we had installed a, a 30-inch 30 30 uh, fused PVC line uh, from the Kansas River plant for a redundant uh, service main. Um, going from there to approximately where the uh, um, um, Dollar General is or in that close in that vicinity. So um, the we believe the services there are, are very reliable with that single main. We'd obviously like to have two um, mains serving North Lawrence, but uh, for the most part, those services are pretty uh, 
um, typical and we don't anticipate any failures. There's a little bit of a less pressure probably under fire conditions in some areas, um, but we believe those are pretty manageable. But we are pursuing um, a couple of options for either repair of that line or um, a potentially installation of another underground line um, in conjunction with providing a secondary source. I would point out that for um, decades and decades, um, the only line that served North Lawrence was on the grid. And the line that we have in place now is significantly more reliable than that line is. So um, we are working on it, but um, it won't be an immediate repair, that's for sure, but we are considering it an emergency. Commissioner Larson, thanks, Dave, for that. Ed, do you have any idea when that might go back in service? Um, I would I would yield to Andy Anza's running the engineering on that, and I don't know whether Andy's there. He popped back on, so I would yield to him. I think he can give us an idea of what the current schedules and options are. Yeah, Andy Inns, MSO engineer. Um, as Dave mentioned, we are looking at two tracks, um, two or two options, I guess, for um, getting a, a secondary supply. And, and this is a, an item on the city manager report um, a little bit later. But um, one of the options is uh, rehab of the Vermont Street uh, bridge line. That would go much quicker. And I would, you know, probably more the six to nine month time frame. The other option is um, a secondary crossing just north of the Kansas River wastewater treatment plant, that's probably more on the 18 to 24 month type time frame. And um, so we should have results. Um, and I think we're, we're going to try and come back to the commission in June or July with those results and recommendations for um, which option we select. Commissioner Larson, thank you, Andy. Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, our, we will uh, move on to farmland. Uh, so again, uh, this is related to action that was taken last week um, for uh, that manager position um, at the, the farmland uh, remediation project site. Um, so budget impact um, is 55,000. And again, this is ongoing. So you'll see that incorporated in the 2022 budget. Um, moving on to the uh, federal agency fund. Um, so on March 9th, uh, there was action taken uh, to approve the 2020 emergency solutions grant um, and award uh, 2020 ESG CARES Act round two funding. Um, so these are passed through dollars, um, but it did exceed the amount that we had budgeted in that fund for um, our fiscal year 2021. Um, so this was $1.1 million. Um, this is not a legally budgeted fund because it is um, a federal uh, grant uh, fund, but uh, we wanted to include it in this, pro this process just for kind of that informational purpose and so that we can kind of capture everything um, that you all saw and, and took action on um, during, during uh, this time period. Um, all right, so the next item is the American Rescue Plan. Um, obviously, this is uh, some major legislation that was approved um, in early March. 
Um, and as part of that, the city is expected to receive approximately $9 million in the current year um, with a potential second installment of an additional $9 million in 2022, um, depending on uh, regulations from the United States Department of the Treasury um, to really help address the impacts of COVID. Um, so while we generally know uh, the amount uh, that will be um, awarded uh, directly to the city, um, there's still quite a bit of uncertainty regarding um, how those funds will be utilized and prioritized. Um, so this is an item that um, you can expect to see um, impact not only this current year budget, uh, but will also impact future budget allocations as well. Um, so while we're still provide or still waiting uh, for additional clarity from the Treasury, um, there are a couple things that have been identified um, in the American Rescue Plan uh, that funds can be used for. Um, I'm not going to go through those in great detail. Um, there's still some additional, like I mentioned, clarity that um, we're still seeking. Uh, the other thing that is important to note related to this is obviously this is a $1.9 trillion um, plan uh, that provides um, funding for um, other uses in addition to kind of that direct um, allocation that the city will uh, receive. Um, so a more robust process uh, to select projects and funding still needs to be determined. Um, however, there are a couple items that we wanted to highlight for you all uh, that we as staff are, are considering. Um, the first is standing up a grants team. Uh, this is a significant amount of federal funding um, to manage. Um, so initially, um, the request would be about $120,000 um, to help um, with that management. Uh, obviously, we'll bring back a full recommendation to you all um, once more information is known, but that is um, one area uh, that we have identified. The other um, kind of item related to this is um, that there are several um, other pockets of funding um, that is um, going to be available through various competitive processes. Um, so we obviously as staff are um, going to keep an eye on these dollars and apply um, where we can for additional um, federal funding. Um, one of the projects that we've identified um, and, and want to uh, try to seek some federal funding for is uh, a revision to our land development code. Uh, currently, we estimate that this will be approximately $400,000 um, and is one of those items that uh, we would like to try to seek federal funding for um, so that we can get that moving. Um, the final section, this is a new section from the last um, time we brought this forward, is kind of the on the horizon. So these are things that we know about, but we don't necessarily have a, a good dollar amount tied to it um, to bring forward to you all for, for official consideration, but want to make sure that you all are aware of. Um, so the first is uh, related to the airport um, and a, an award notification by the Kansas Department of Transportation for an aviation grant. Um, it does require um, a city match. We don't yet quite know um, the details of that, and, and you can expect um, a recommendation to be brought forward to you um, in the next several months related to that, but we wanted to make sure that it was on your radar. Um, the second item that we have noted here um, is related to capital projects. Um, several of these are currently in the design phase for construction this summer. 
Um, and we have seen an increased cost related to materials. Um, and it is anticipated that some of these um, may go over the original budget estimates. Uh, the two projects in particular that um, we have identified at this point um, is the uh, East uh, 23rd Street Haskell Bridge to East City Limits and the Lawrence Loop uh, project. Um, these um, estimates, these budget estimates uh, did include some contingency and there may be some options related to scope alternatives that we could consider to keep those costs down. Uh, but it is something and a trend that we're seeing and wanted to make you all aware of. So obviously those two projects and our future CIP and maintenance plan projects uh, will be brought to you all for consideration. Once those impacts are known, um, we obviously will have a recommendation for you all to consider, but something we wanted to highlight and make you aware of. And then finally, uh, the last item here is um, related to an announcement that the city made on March 12th of this year uh, related to back overtime uh, that would be paid out to affected employees within our uh, fire medical and police department. The impact of that uh, was just under a million dollars. Um, the current funding that has been identified uh, to help offset this is um, essentially savings that we have related to vacancies um, in those two departments. Um, it's obviously still pretty early um, in the year, so this will continue to be monitored, uh, but that currently um, is uh, one of the ways that we will um, help offset um, the impact of that. Um, so if an additional adjustment is required, that that will be brought back to you all for uh, consideration in a future budget adjustment. So that was my um, attempt to get through this relatively quickly. Uh, you can see the net impact um, across each of the funds, uh, but the action before you tonight is uh, to approve the second quarter budget adjustment. And with that, I would be happy to answer any questions that uh, you all may have. Mayor Fingalai, thank you, Danielle, for that presentation and summary of what we've been doing here. And again, obviously some of those things we've already talked about, but we've asked a few questions, but any questions of Danielle? Ms. Commissioner Boley, um, Danielle, we've seen a lot of these things in our actions that we've done previously. Um, one thing that I don't really have very good grip on is um, the idea that we might have to increase expenditure authority later in the year. Are there specific funds that you think we'll have to be exploring that with? Uh, this is Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, so the way that we do um, our state budget forms is we include fund balance um, as um, part of that total um, spending authority. So the funds that um, I think we're really worried about are those funds with um, lower fund balances as a general percentage. So some of those would be um, guest tax fund or um, the, the parking fund. Um, there are a couple other funds that if there are changes to, we typically have to do an amendment for thinking of things um, specifically like the library fund, for example, um, if we wanted, if we saw additional revenues there and needed to do, um, need, wanted to move that out in the current year, that's always a fund that we keep a, a pretty close eye on. So those are the funds that, that come to mind initially um, at this point in the year, but certainly we'll keep an eye on that. This is Commissioner Bowley, with regard to the library fund, 
an alternative would be to just leave the money in the fund and pay it out in the subsequent year. Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. And that is the practice we have done over the last year, maybe two or so, um, to, to um, alleviate the need to do that. I, I would encourage you to just go ahead and continue that practice. That's thank you, it's Commissioner Bull. Commissioner Larson, I, on the list you have there under fiscal impact, the last two items of federal agency fund and the American Rescue Plan, those are not those are dollars that that are potentially coming to us. Is that correct? Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Yes, both of those are related to federal funding uh, that the city is um, either has received or, or uh, anticipates receiving. So yes, uh, both of those have an offset. And then all the rest of those in that list are actual um, impacts where we're going to have to raise revenue is that, or find new revenue sources. Is that correct? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Yes, that okay. is correct. Thank you. Vice Mayor Shipley, um, I hate to go back to the law enforcement center, but I'm gonna. Um, um, of course, we're trying theoretically to extricate ourselves from that particular building, but the other one at Bob Billings and Wakarusa um, previously, um, I think it was considered that uh, we would sell that, and I'm, I'm not sure that's the situation now. So um, I, I am a little uh, concerned about this amount uh, for a building we're trying to get out of. Can I get any more clarification about that expense? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, so that expense is really, I think, related to upkeep. So we're talking about, you know, utilities and janitorial um, and, and those types of expenses out at that facility. Um, um, with that being said, if we are able to leave that facility, those dollars wouldn't need to be um, expensed as we wouldn't be responsible or required to um, kind of upkeep and maintain it. Um, I don't know that I have a whole bunch of additional details beyond that, but if there is additional follow-up um, that you all would, would like, we can certainly do that and follow up in a manager's report or something to that effect. I appreciate that. Other questions before I open it to public comment? Seeing none, this is a public hearing item. If anyone would like to make public comment, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. Not too many people left, but we'll see. Sherry Riedemann, City Clerk, there's no public comment on this item. Mayor Finkelai, thank you. Bring it back. Or questions, comments, or motions? This Commissioner Boley, um, I appreciate that the magnitude of these changes is greater than we'll anticipate in uh, future um, budget amendments for um, this same period. Um, I appreciate the work that 
you've done, Danielle, uh, and and the staff on this. Um, and I go back to the idea that the 2021 budget we originally passed was a placeholder budget. Um, and we knew that these things were going to happen. But um, I th I'm encouraged about the prospects for the 2022 budget that we'll be you know, doing more robust budgeting in, in that process. So I support this. This is Commissioner Arson. I'm ready to make a motion to approve the second quarter budget adjustment as presented. This is Commissioner Bully, I'll second. Mayor Finkelstein, a motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Bully. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Mayor Finkelstein, aye, passes five to zero. We'll now move to item number six, um, which is um, related to the um, revenue bond financing at, at US Engineering. And U.S. Engineering has requested a public hearing scheduled April 13th be deferred until May 4th, 2021. So I'm going to go ahead and officially open the public hearing. And any, I will open it for public comment. And then if we have none, we'll go ahead and continue the hearing until May 4th. Would any member of the public like to make comment on this item tonight? If so, use your raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. Jerry Riedemann, City Clerk, there's no public comment on this item. Mayor Finkelai, thank you. I look for a motion to continue the public hearing until May 4th. Mr. Commissioner Boley, I move that we continue the public hearing until May 4th, 2021. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkelai, a motion by Commissioner Boley, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Boley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Mayor Finkelday, aye, passes five to zero. We'll now move to commission items. And I know Commissioner Ananda maybe, I think, had a couple. This is Commissioner Ananda. I just wanted to bring back the items that we heard public comment on at the beginning of the meeting around um, uh, Ordinance 14704 about the abandoned refrigerator ordinance and then uh, the comments um, from Mr. Clemens regarding the food trucks on mass and the changes that we've made um, to accommodate those businesses down there and whether or not other commissioners would be interested in having conversation on those items. Mayor Fingal, I'm interested in hearing a little more. I see Enrico's on. Maybe he could give us a quick update, especially on the, the fridge one. Yeah, uh, thanks, Mayor. Um, so the the ordinance 14-704, um, oh, Enrico, uh, MSO, sorry. Um, the, the original location of the fridge and food pantry um, was on the sidewalk. And in, in communications with the, uh, um, the student organization in Lashkey Deli, where it was originally located, <clears throat> um, we had requested that they uh, relocate the fridge um, so it was outside of the public right of way. Um, and in doing so, they put it behind the building. Um, and I guess what sparked tonight's uh, 
conversation about the fridge uh, around 1 o'clock today um, i got an out of the blue phone call on what uh, my definition of unattended meant um, and i wasn't near a computer or anything like that so i just said well if you're not physically present um, i would consider that probably unattended um, and so uh, with that kind of sparked uh, this um, for tonight. And so um, I guess with that, I can take any uh, questions or if you want more information on the fridge, um, I'm, I'm open to that. Mayor Finkelai, so just so I'm understanding, it wasn't that we've t we took some affirmative action at this point, correct? To, to close the fridge or something, you're saying that um, well, since it's out of the, the right of way, um, I don't have any jurisdiction at this point to kind of dictate what happens. So at least on my end, I haven't taken any, any more action than removing it from the sidewalk. Mayor Finkeldine, well, I, I guess I'm with Commissioner Nanda, at least I'd like to look a little bit more into this kind of camera on. I don't know if he has a comment tonight or something we can look at and consider going forward. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Yes, I believe you know this may become an issue if someone complains and and then uh, code enforcement gets involved. It may very well be a violation of the ordinance and that the word unattended doesn't necessarily mean someone guarding it, but it needs to be watched or at least supervised or somebody, you know, keeping an eye on it. And I doubt that can be done 24 hours. So, you know, if, if we want to change the code or do something regarding that, I mean, these laws go back a long time to a number of tragedies related to children who are playing hide and seek and finding a refrigerator and then not being found for several days. That was the purpose of these, these, these codes. And this goes back a long time. So it's been on the books for a long time. So we could have discussions and, and do whatever the city commission wants to do going forward on this. <clears throat> Mayor Finkelai, Commissioner Nanda, I don't know what your position is, but I think at least it's something to consider in, in this context. Obviously, the context of someone, a small kid dying, <laughs> we want to avoid, but is there possibly a way to consider it here? I think it's at least something to look at. This is Commissioner Ananda. I wonder if on these two items, the next steps that might be appropriate would be something in the city manager's report to give us something to chew on a little bit versus like doing like a study session or something like that on this. And then we would be able to have that conversation if it's necessary. I see, I see Craig on. I'm wondering what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, city manager Craig Owens, uh, based on what I've just learned here tonight, I don't think we've had a lot of time to uh, try and problem solve on this. So we'd like to give it a little chance of trying to resolve these issues. We've got community members trying to help community members and I think we can figure something out. If we can and it requires a policy modification, we certainly will bring that to you uh, as, as quickly as we need to. This is Commissioner Nanda Craig, would that also apply to the food truck piece of that conversation? Yes. Uh, again, I think both of these are hitting us uh, either today or just within the last few hours. Um, so let us have a little bit of time to try and work something out. Um, it, 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 
if it's as simple as it as uh, something we can solve, we will solve it uh, and and move on and update you. If it is something that's more complex, then we'll try and bring you some solutions for your consideration. Mr. Commissioner, and that works for me. If it works for the other commissioners as well. Mayor Finkel, I appreciate that a lot. Other commission items. I would add, we, we did get a letter from uh, Ted Boyle and North Lawrence about seeking a quiet zone, you know, from the railroads. It showed up in our packet. I'm not even sure what that entails or what the next step would be or what that means, but um, I guess I just thought I'd bring it forward to see if that's something we wanted to look at. Thanks, Mayor Shipley. I, I, I spoke with... Um... Ted about that and, and it's uh, older than when you and I've been on the commission, maybe even older than all of us have been on the commission. Um, and I'm sure that Diane or Brandon or someone uh, can um, tell us the backstory of that because there sounds like there was quite a bit of back and forth with the railroad. Um, and whatever happened, it, it sort of fell away. Um, so I, maybe an update, um, maybe staff yeah. could revisit what happened before and maybe conditions have changed. It sounds like the city actually made quite a few um, uh, alterations uh, uh, to some of the railroad crossings um, in aid of that. And so um, uh, maybe it just needs to be picked back up, um, some, some staff leadership on that or. Move. Yes, I'm not asking even for it to be put on the agenda yet. I just think we the request was made, so I think we at least should look into it and get a little background information, kind of like the last item, maybe bring it back to us on the C manager's report or something, just to see in general what it entails and what the next steps may or may not be. Mayor Finkel, any other commission items? Vice Mayor Shipley, um, I did want to mention, um, maybe some of you were aware of the um, exhibit at Watkins about the uh, field day 75 about uh, parks and recreation um, in Lawrence and uh, just to encourage the public if they can to go to Watkins. It, if I can get out of my house, it will be the first time I've gotten to go to a museum in a year. Uh, but I'm very interested in seeing the display that they have um, about uh, the history of Parks and Rec in Lawrence. And so I just wanted to encourage people to uh, take this opportunity to, to visit our, our local museum and to, to get back in the space of thinking about visiting um, our museums and our um, venues and bring your mask um but but i i just i was very interested in that thanks mayor mayor Finkelbein, any other commission items see none we'll move to the city manager's report Craig. thanks mayor city manager craig owens uh there were just a, a couple items on there you've already uh, really went through the waterline one uh, across the river. Uh, we're happy to answer any questions on that one. Um, there is a um, just an update and kind of a neat program, a community remembrance project through the Equal Justice Initiative that we're um, supporting on a scholarship there. 
and um, uh, a, a meter uh, update as well, and then um, our future agenda work session items. Happy to answer any questions. Mayor Fingalai, any questions for Craig? This is a public hearing item. If any member of the public would like to speak about one of those four items, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. Chad Osdale, were you wanting to provide comment on this item? Questions asked during public comment. I was wondering if my question was going to be answered. And if not, I assume I can take no answer as there is no difference and that you just want to spend the extra money and keep everything in-house so you don't have to be held accountable for your actions. Just asking for an answer. I'm sorry. Mayor, there's no other public comment on this item. Mayor Finkel, I thank you. Um, any other questions for the city manager? If not, we'll look at the calendar. Any items on the calendar? Seeing none, I guess I'd look for a motion to adjourn. Absolutely no answers. Thank you very much for nothing. So second. Commissioner Nando, second. Mayor Finkelai, motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Nanda. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkelai, aye. Passes five to zero. Thank you very much. See you soon.